On this episode of the Star Wars Time Show, Matt will be flying solo as he chats with Visual Approach Photography about his badass Star Wars toy art. After their discussion, Matt will break down the latest episode of The Bad Batch to sadly remind you that it was the series' first real dud. Fear not though, the Bad Batch love is still strong at SWTS. Matt will then dive into a few live-action Star Wars rumors, including castings for Ezra and Thrawn. He'll also provide another update on Kenobi's roster of Rebels characters, and how an SWTS prediction from last week is probably coming true. For those interested in the War of the Bounty Hunters miniseries, Matt has another recap for you, which will also get you caught up with the current Vader run. After story time, a few new collectibles will be discussed, and then the show will move into the fan segment featuring fan responses to the question of the week and the latest iteration of our weekly Top 5 Star Wars Fan Artist Features. Punch it, Chewie! everybody welcome back to the star wars time show and yes for the third show in a week we're starting out with a special guest and this week we're joined by everyone's favorite visceral toy photographer at visual underscore you got to get the underscores approach underscore photography and and before we we start talking with sean i do uh want to address the elephant in the room. Yes, Nick has been replaced by the logo today. Um, those of you that are are fans, uh, it doesn't look like we're getting any data to the stream. There it goes. Uh, those of you are fans of the show, and you know you listen on a weekly basis, you probably are familiar with the saga of Nick's new home. And uh, you know today it's kind of coming full circle. They decided to replace the floors today during show day, so Nick is is taking the cast off because it sounded like uh, you know a little bit of World War II going on in his basement in terms of the the noise that was was uh, coming from the people trying to install his new floors. So no Nick today. Uh, you just got myself, but luckily we're joined here with with Sean, who is the man behind at Visual Approach Photography, who used to be Captain Ordo, right? Yeah, he used to be the CPT. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. All right, so that, that's that's kind of how things are going to go today. You're going to get a little solo show after we we turn Sean loose, but for now, let's let's kind of figure out what makes Sean tick as a Star Wars fan and more importantly, a Star Wars artist. Because he is. Um, if you're on the live stream, you, 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 you're looking at Visual Approach Photography's IG page right now. And, and just a quick glance, and you'll instantly realize that this gentleman, he's got what it takes to be a, a, an excellent toy photographer. One that he's one of my personal favorites on the at Haywood Pop front. Uh, but but Sean, really, I mean, your, your page these days is just a, a thing of beauty, so... Uh, maybe Thank we'll maybe maybe we'll get some tips for the the youngins out here. Uh, maybe sure. some of your anecdotes will will help them reach your level of excellence. But I, I'm not them. You know, this is no bullshit. I 
truly one of my my personal favorite artists and, and someone that I know we've featured more than a few times on the Star Wars Time Show's infamous top five featured artists yeah. segment. So it's good to finally have you on the show here, my friend. Yeah, I appreciate very much. I know I had to, I think I actually poked Spencer or maybe even mentioned it in a, in a story. I was like, Hey, would love to stop by the show. So thank you for fulfilling um, my wish. I appreciate hey, it. Not a problem. Uh, hopefully things keep going in and out. I can see here on the, on the YouTube uh, kind of back end. It's like no dated, excellent connection. So I don't know what the hell my father and daughter are doing with my internet right now, but uh, apologies to anyone sitting there trying to watch the live stream live because I bet it's getting a little chunky right now or delayed. So we'll, we'll keep fingers crossed. I've got red lights, green lights, yellow lights. It's like I'm driving in traffic right now. But hey, we're just going to talk. You, it's a Star Wars time show, right? We're never going to have perfect technology, and this is really out of my control. Maybe the the wide open westers of the world are fucking with my uplink, but um, if things are funky, that's why. So let's get into it, Sean. I, I always like to, you know, there, there's all sorts of other shows out there that a lot of toy photographers go on and just uh, specifically talk about toy photography. Uh, here in the Star Wars Time Show, we like to kind of approach it from a, a galaxy far, far away angle. You know, what, what what type of fan are you? Are you one of these angry Star Wars fans, a passionate fan, a longtime fan, a new fan? So uh, I guess we'll just kind of start right there. What what was your, I guess, your first memory of Star Wars? What What was the moment that you realized, like, all right. I'm, I'm an, uh, th th this stuff is something that I can get into. This is something I'm going to throw myself into. I want to be Luke Skywalker. Or maybe it was I want to <laughs> be Ben Kenobi. I don't know. I mean, are you a an OT type of person, a prequel, a sequel? Are you a brand new fan? Um, I My earliest memories of Star Wars, I was born in November of 78. And my earliest memories were of the Empire Strikes Back soundtrack on vinyl. My brother used to listen to it. And also um, my parents repeatedly taking me to the cinema to see Return of the Jedi. Um, absolutely. Uh, I was obsessed with the, with the sail barge battle. Um, and as a kid, you absolutely love Ewoks and speeder bikes. Um, so that was my introduction to it. And of course, we had the original trilogy on VHS taped off of HBO. Heck yeah. Um, so that pretty much was my childhood. It was really between just watching the original trilogy and then afterwards watching, there was that documentary uh, from Star Wars to Jedi with that was narrated by Mark Hamill that kind of went through the making of Return of the Jedi and all the stuff they did in the creature shop and out in Yuma, Arizona. And I was just obsessed with it so uh that that was my entry into it but i as a fan i can understand why somebody who grew up with the prequels thinks that the prequels are the greatest um set of films and also i mean there are people who where the sequels resonate with them and that's perfectly fine i think for my circumstances it's the original trilogy um, my firstborn son's name is Luke. So, I mean, you can kind of tell where my allegiances lie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's absolutely the original. Yeah, so it, it, but that's not. It, it sounds like you, um, 
kind of like me where it was a, a family affair, right? You know, you're kind of the, the older siblings might have, you know, dangled the carrot and then the parents kind of reinforce it with with ROTJ. So I'm just going to ask because yeah. you, you kind of sound like me. We're close in age. Is Jedi your favorite film overall then? Yeah. Um, I understand the, the the powerful the power of nostalgia for me in Return of the Jedi. I can put it on at any time of day and I will stop when Vader lands in the in the uh, in death in the Death Star and he's talking to Moff Gerard and I'd love that scene everything with Jabba's palace. But my favorite scene in the entire trilogy is when Luke and Vader are on the catwalk before Vader brings him to the emperor. That's my favorite scene in the entire trilogy. Um, so yeah, it's absolutely. Let, let's, let's I, I dive into not. that. Why, why is that? Is it because you can kind of tell that Vader knows Luke's right, but Vader still is kind of, he has, it, he has Palpatine's shadow, you know, cast over him at all times. Like, I can't beat this guy, Luke. You you are right, but I can't beat. Is it, is it because of that? Or it's, it's interesting that you say that's your favorite scene in, in all of Star Wars. I think they almost need each other in that moment. Vader needs Luke to defeat the Emperor mm-hmm. because he knows that he can't. And luke needs vader to push him to realize his destiny because he needs to fight him according to obi-wan and yoda right so it's it's they're both at a crossroads and so they they the 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 trilogy does hinge on their final confrontation on the death star so it and it's just you it's 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 vader is communicating to luke in a way that he never really has before it's about as honest as he gets with him yeah and so I just, I, if I miss it, I rewind it. I've seen it, you know, we've all seen these movies thousands of times, but I, that scene is, is my favorite. I just can't get enough. Of no, it. I, I love that. And it's like, you know, we, we briefly were talking about the new comic runs before we went live and, you know, Hey, check out my recaps on our YouTube channel, Star Wars Time Show. Search it out there. It's out there. You can find it. Uh, but yep. you, you kind of bring up the, that scene that they they need each other, and I think you're spot on because what's happening in the current Vader run is we you know we saw Vader get broken down by Palpatine again just to kind of teach him a lesson like hey Darthia yeah, you might think you're getting stronger but I'm still Palpatine I have Exegol yep. I have mountains of Kyber crystals and I can fucking destroy you if I want to and Vader did learn that lesson. And now, as it's crossing in and out with the War of the Bounty Hunters, his his fixation is back on Luke and the fact that Luke is the one thing that he knows can jeopardize his position with the Emperor. He knows now that the Emperor is turning his sights to Luke. So his goal is, I'm going to fuck up all of Luke's friends because his friends are what make Luke great, not Luke himself. Uh, so I think you are, you're spot on with that scene in that... You know, Vader, by the time Jedi comes around again, this comic is taking place in between Empire and Jedi. So it it is very timely. Vader knows Palpatine is is uh, uh, unbeatable, at least by himself. Uh, He's tried. He's plotted before. And in every turn, Palpatine has fucked him up for doing so. Uh, And he knows that Luke may be the key. He also knows that Luke may be his replacement. So it is a it's 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 yeah. how you can see how fucked Anakin Skywalker got himself by pledging his allegiance to Palpatine because uh, he knows in that moment that you know he's he's a lost soul 
He's tur- willingly turning over his living flesh and blood to the devil. Um, yet yeah. he still can't help himself to do it. He really is just a tragic, whiny bum. In the end, I love him. He's my favorite character. But um, yeah. and I just I love that because most people, me included, I go for the flashy stuff. I mean, mine is always the it's a few scenes after the the catwalk talk where you know, father and son are, are going the blows and Luke ultimately does tap into the dark side a bit to, to get one up on the old man. Uh, but I'm with you. We're right. Everyone else is wrong. Return of the Jedi is the best. Thank yeah. you for clearing that up for everybody. Yeah. And that's the soundtrack. Uh, okay. So Empire Strikes Back has an incredible soundtrack, but there's moments in the Return of the Jedi soundtrack, I listen to it when I'm at when I'm at work and I'm in my office, like, um, and it gets through the day. I mean, it's 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 remarkable. Parade of the Ewoks, Luke and Leia, all those all those themes are. Incredible. Now you're talking before the classic, battle. right? Before they they got rid of Yub Nub, because uh, Yub Nub is one of my favorite celebration songs in all of Star Wars. Absolutely, yeah, no that- question about. It. That is one special edition cut I just, I don't understand. It's like, all right, if you want to put in all the celebratory scenes across the galaxy that look really bad these days, fine. But how do you get rid of Yub Nub for just some jerky sounding, you know, banging on drums and tooting whistles music? Yeah, it's ridiculous. And they did it so that they could extend the scene so you could see all those different locations. I don't give a shit. Just, just, just play the original song, okay? Right. I want to see the guy playing the drums on the stormtroopers' heads to the original right. song, and we're right. good. And it actually timed up, right? Or are we were we just stupid little kids? And when he's beating on the on the uh, stormtrooper helmets, it didn't match up to the drum beats to the song because I always well, thought it did. If you asked me in 1983, that was a live performance, and all of this. Okay, good. Yes. Happened. All right. <laughs> yeah, it just it took place in some forest in California, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I could I could reminisce about ROTJ forever. So it, it seems to me, Sean, that if if fans were born like in the early 70s or prior they're always going to point to empire where people like us are born late seventies, early eighties may lean towards uh, Jedi. And and I get it. I mean, I've explained why I'm not an empire fanboy before as a little kid, that movie fucked me up. I didn't like (laughs) the good guys losing it. It, it, you know, you're, you're not used to that as a little kid, especially I was probably two, maybe three. Yeah. You, you have no emotional capacity at that point in time. So you're like, holy shit, the, what the fuck is this? This is like torture to me. The bad guys are getting beat at every turn. This is this no fun. Can this movie be over? <laughs> right. Yeah. They lost. Look, they, where's Han? He's still gone, people. I, I Who wrote this good. shit? I think saying that Empire, because it's it's largely considered the best movie, um, the way it's conceived and, and shot and edited and put together, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily doesn't have to be your favorite, you know, right. it, it, and I, so I think it's a canned answer. People uh, just ultimately think, I think a new hope is, is better than, than the empire strikes back. I would say that as Ooh. much as, as much <laughs> as empire strikes back is a fantastic movie and, and all three of them are held in such high regard. If I had to list them, it would be, um, a new hope return of the jedi and empire strikes back um the binary sunset and a new hope with when luke looks out over um the landscape of tatooine is i mean watching luke go from nothing and get thrust into this conflict is is amazing it's un- unbelievable 
Yeah, I mean, he's he's whining about joining the Academy early on. And then by the end, he's being celebrated by the Rebel Alliance as its greatest hero. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, according to his dad, he didn't earn that victory as Han Solo was the one that allowed Luke to to get the glory. But, hey, that's Vader's always going to be a hater. Right. I mean, he's he's, he's yeah. an angry man. So. <laughs> have an opinion on the whole thing considering the side he ends up on so yeah i i do like your take on a new hope because it's like a chicken and the egg dis- discussion i mean without a new hope and, and what it did there there probably is no more star wars and, and nick said this last week i think a new hope is is shot in a way that it's a one and done movie you know hey yeah. here's the good guys they get into trouble miller time celebrate it Opens and closes. I mean, you, you could argue that's it's it's a it's a self loop almost. I mean, yeah, the Death Star's blown up and you see Vader, you know, rocking himself away. But if the movie didn't do well, it technically could have ended there, and and so be it. So, yeah. and like good, I, I think that it that one of the charming things about the original trilogy is that it almost doesn't have as much of a um, cemented or or plan as as we all put upon it now you know like you said a new hope being kind of one and done and then between empire and jedi i think i can't imagine it and i could be wrong about this but the but it it could not have been originally conceived that luke and leia were brother and sister when they kissed it strikes back so i mean that that you know kind of putting it together as you go along is kind of part of its charm yeah i mean it 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 goes to show that I mean, just listening to Nick Gillard last week and the the day of sometimes the scene shooting of George would come in and be like, and let's scrap all that shit we planned for and we're doing the high ground or, hey, guys, I know you planned for a fight with Dooku, but I'm now going to have Yoda fight. And they're just like, okay, and, and, you know, that that's George Lucas. He can he's the maker. He can do what he wants. But. Um, yeah. you are right. I, I, I do not think kind of like, uh, the sequel trilogy that George had a concrete plan for a full trilogy. Things yeah. changed. Uh, I mean, things have gotten even wonkier since he introduced the prequels where he kind of negated some of the shit that Kenobi was saying. That's why we accuse Kenobi of having severe PTSD now and all this stuff. But Hey, uh, the OT, I, I, I get it. It, it. it does seem we all are going to gravitate towards our generational trilogies. And uh, yeah. while I was an angry I, teen in young 20s when the prequel came out and I thought it ruined Star Wars, I, I've, I've come full circle on that. <laughs> I'm not that dickhead anymore that's going to sit here with my bullhorn telling all of you that those movies are garbage. Because so what? If you like them, who gives a shit? I'm a bit of an apologist. I I I... I I like them for what they are. I can find a way to enjoy anything that's related to Star Wars. Yeah, me too. Uh, I saw The Phantom Menace 26 times in the theater. Yeah, I was up there too. (laughs) I didn't even care. I was just, you know what? What am I going to do today? I think I'm going to go see Star Wars. Right, yep. For me, I think whether I thought it was a good movie or a bad movie, it still gave me a, a larger view of the galaxy that it all takes place in. So I could find... Yeah, I get it. It's clunky. It's not great. It's all shot on a green screen, but it has its charms just like all of the other stuff. And I can find reasons to love it. Hey, I mean, last week when uh, Nick said that in his personal view, The Phantom Menace is the best of the prequels. Yeah. I was like, well, well, Jesus Christ, there we go. He he knows yeah. what he's talking about. So 
by default yeah. or, or, you know, a, a de facto connection. So do I. Um, all right. So we got film. We got the, uh, the, the era, the fandom. How about your character? Are you a, are you a Han Solo guy like some of our previous guests? Or um, who, who is your favorite Star Wars character and why? Uh, it's, it's Luke because he i mean the the again with the original trilogy somewhat being kind of told through his experiences he's the person that i um always gravitated towards um you know he made mistakes and he but he, he continued to learn and then ultimately kind of came into who he was um yeah it's it's absolutely luke no question about all it all right so with that uh, knowledge how how did you perceive the last jedi then luke's luke's portrayal in particular you don't have to comment on the entire movie but but luke in the last jedi if if he's your boy how did you feel were you ready to light your theater on fire like some of these people or did you take it in stride and just kind of contemplate on what you just took in i think i was i was i was okay with it again i thought mark hamill's performance was wonderful he's my internet dad so uh, I'm uh, just seeing him as Luke again was great. Um, I was comfortable with, I knew after seeing the force awakens being an older person and the, you know, kind of passing the torch to the new folks that this trilogy largely wouldn't be told for me. Um, so I was comfortable with, with the direction they took it in. I have a hard time kind of holding a grudge that this movie wasn't made specifically for me and my vision of Luke. <laughs> I guess my biggest issue was the slow speed uh, chase through space that took up the first 30 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Uh, I, d- I liked the Ray Kylo Ren stuff. I liked the direction that Luke was in that, that they took him in because, I, because for me, I'm an expanded universe person also. Um, so I, I was comfortable with where the story ended in Return of the Jedi and kind of where my imagination could take the character. I was comfortable with him repeating the mistakes of the Jedi. Um, and then finally, in his later days, coming to terms with the fact that, you know, maybe that wasn't the right view and that, you know, that um, that's what allowed Palpatine and Vader to come to power. So I took it at face value and I enjoyed it for what it was. But um, I had other issues with the movie, not for any political views, but for just weird choices that they made. <laughs> yeah, I'd say the the main the main plot between the resistance and first order when you you know, after you take it in the first time, I don't care who you are. If you're a hardcore Star Wars fan, the first time I watched TLJ, I was fixated. I, I loved the opening action sequence with the bombers. I thought mm-hmm. that was intense. And you're really not thinking about the fact that we're literally watching two capital ships float in space and chase each other. Uh, after the fact, yeah, you start thinking about it's like, well, what was the big secrecy? Why was Holdo holding all this information back? Why couldn't she just tell them yeah. this was the plan? Whatever. I mean, that that stuff aside, uh, when it comes to Luke in that movie, I'm I'm with you too. I've always looked at Luke as kind of a little whiny boy. I mean, his, his family is the only one that's not are the women, right? I mean. Padme doesn't yeah. bitch and moan. Leia doesn't bitch and moan. But Anakin and Luke sure as fuck. That that was their mo. They're always, I want to do yeah. this. I want to fly to, you know, that type of shit. I, yeah. What bummed me out, or what seemed very anti-Luke and TLJ, was how he reacted to Ray 
in, in, in almost like a disdain, like, fuck you, get the fuck off this island, I'm an angry old curmudgeon. I don't yeah. see Luke ever acting that way. I, yeah, sure, shut yourself off and, you know, take yourself off the off the game map. But I, I don't see him uh, treating someone like that, someone like Ray, like he did. I mean, it, it took R2-D2 to finally kind of snap him out of being a dickhead. Yeah. Uh, but after that, it's like, fine. Hey, he, he begrudgingly trained her, taught her some of the, the, the hubris that he realized that his predecessors had. Um, so overall, I mean, hey, TLJ is a fine movie. I'm not going to say it's my favorite, but uh, like you, yeah. uh, while I don't think a lot of our listeners will agree, I'm somewhat well-adjusted. And while I act like a, a fucking madman on the show at times, it, you know, it, it, it's kind of a gimmick. But in real life, uh, it, never would I sit here and let a, a science fiction film uh, yeah. kind of dictate the type of person I am to other people and flamethrowing shit. Now, you know, if we want to talk about Boba yeah. Fett, I'll fucking flamethrow some people. But uh, TLJ and other Star Wars stuff, I mean, honestly, it's 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 sci-fi. It's fun. It's not real. It doesn't matter to... It, I, it doesn't matter fully what I think anyway. I mean, my opinion should not impact anybody <laughs> else's enjoyment of it. That's what, what I mean. What the fuck do I you are you are well adjusted my friend uh, sadly there's not a lot of people out there anymore that can that can say that and realize that you know it, I mean, it's their way or the highway yeah i mean i think we can all agree that the rise of skywalker sucks but people that like the last jedi and people that don't that is that is perfectly fine i mean, I mean oh my god right yeah yeah tross is a whole other bunch of Ugh. issues and that's just like okay and even JJ, I mean, he he has since come out and be like, ah, oh, yeah, we probably should have had a plan. It's like, well, no shit. I mean, the people above yeah. you are getting paid a ton of fucking money. Like, figure it out. It's not that hard to see that having yeah. three different artists try to do a cohesive trilogy is just it, it would never happen. I mean, even in 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 the art form we dabble in, it would be odd to be like, all right, Sean, you come up with an idea for a shot. One six shooter, you do the middle of it, and then you know, plastic action or Jason B. Michael, you finish it, and it, it needs to be a cohesive piece. But you all can bring your own artistic spin to it. it. It would come out looking like a Frankenstein, right? I mean, it would not, it would not be a a, a coherent piece of art. Uh, each one of your pieces making up the uh, overall piece might be great or, or on its own it's a nice piece of art but together it just would not work so yeah oh well well yeah. tre tre uh, trevor's in the chat here and he's upset that we said tlj is okay <laughs> <laughs> it's all right trevor we'll, we'll let you sit there screaming at the at the uh youtube screen there so i guess Maybe it's worse that I don't have a strong opinion about it because it's like, like whatever. You know? No, I just I, I, with the sequel, Sean, I've I've kind of just taken the approach that I did to the prequels. It's like, hey, they're there. They exist. They're not changing. And there was potential. It missed some of the marks in my head, but that's my head. So who cares? You know, so what? Uh, yeah, we, I watch the prequels far more often than I watch the sequels. I, I think. I think I've seen The Last Jedi twice. I saw, uh, Rev what the fuck is it called? Rise of Skywalker yeah. once. Yeah. Uh, so those don't really land for me. 
It's, but I will go back to the other six. I mean, obviously. Yeah, t- TFA is the one from the sequel trilogy. I think most people could agree was like, all right, th- there was some promise here. And then a lot of the threads yeah. that JJ was kind of punting up just got well, discarded. When and you take a new hope, you can't really go wrong. I mean, it's right. just like right. kind of hard to fuck it up when you just change the character names. Oh, well. So, uh, I, I mean, I'll ask you, I think you already answered this. I mean, we know it's clearly not coming from TLJ, but y- your standout moment, you're saying, is the catwalk scene from Jedi, oh. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, you know, some people like this question, some don't. And I have a feeling we might be going with the answer everyone goes with here, but anything... <laughs> from the franchise at this point in time content that has been made available to be seen any of that that just doesn't sit well with you is there any content out there you're like that is just bleh um i'm looking over my bookshelf not not really again i think that rebels is probably a high point um as far as the animation is concerned, um, there wasn't really, I, again, I've, I've read all of the expanded universe stuff prior to the new canon. I've read Bloodline, I've read Aftermath, and I think the Force Awakens um, novelization. A low point? Not really. I mean, I, I think that some of the Dark Horse comics had wonderful covers and, and there wasn't a whole lot going on between uh, the spine. Got you. Interesting. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, nothing that 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 makes me kind of um, reel back in, in disdain or disgust. Well, I wish you were playing like uh, hated Star Wars bingo because you would have won. You didn't say Star Wars Resistance, which pretty much every other guest has uh, zeroed in on as the, 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 the shittiest Star Wars content they've ever seen. So I. I- I don't feel like that show was made for me. Like, so I, I don't, I've reached an age or a point in my, you know, but might as well be coffin shopping. I'm feel so old, but, um, I never, I never made an app. I, I felt that rebels was such a wonderfully constructed and told story that I was not, I was not emotionally prepared to jump into resistance and I had no desire to go anywhere near it. Uh, I, <laughs> I knew it. Well, I guess that's the same answer saying you hate it. So we'll, we'll, we'll take it. We'll take it as that. I did did not have the discretionary energy to. (laughs) I love it. I love That's a great way to describe. I forgot. (laughs) Until you mentioned it. I'm like, what the fuck is that? I thought it was a video game. Oh man. Poor Kaz, poor Kaz and crew. Hey, I know, I know you got little kids that they might, you know, it might be perfect for them at this point in time. It's, I don't know. I, Nick and I did find some uh, enjoyment in resistance. I really didn't think it's uh, the abortion that everyone makes it out to be, but Hey, to each their own, to each their own. Um, fans of the sequel trilogy should should like it or at least should check it out because it does directly tie into all three films but we'll, we'll leave it at that <laughs> poor resistance I just I always think about the people that that you know are huge Star Wars fans and then they finally get to be a part of a Star Wars project and they get Star Wars resistance to where most of the community rejects it and and, and then they can't yeah. they can't go on for the next 30 40 years and capitalize 
off of their their Star Wars experience at at cons and whatnot. So it's like these <laughs> no poor, one's lining up. These poor bastards. Time. You know, maybe maybe we promote it so much because the the main uh, voice actor that played Kaz uh, followed us early on in Star Wars time wow. show creation, and we like would retweet some of our stuff and like it. So there's probably a little bit of that that going on. Like, hey, look. The guy yeah. that actually is in the show is paying attention to us, and we all know how big of a, a a narcissist I am when it comes to Star Wars. So any type of flattery, I'll I'll uh, I'll yeah. definitely latch on to. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> poor resistance. I, I I do feel bad for those that that made it. Hey, Floney was a part of it too, so I guess he doesn't always hit home runs. All right, Sean. So now we we've kind of figured out. What makes you tick as a Star Wars fan? I think we've got you profiled. You know, you're you're an OT OT individual, like like a lot of us that listen to this show. Uh, I, I seem to have other people in my age range that that gravitate to my nonsense, which which makes sense. Uh, I think growing up in the eighties, uh, late seventies, eighties, nineties, we were all uh, kind of in, indoctrinated with a lot more rated R and, and crazy shit than, than kids get these days. Cause I, I mean, I, I remember watching RoboCop at six years old, yeah. just like some fucked up shit that little kids shouldn't see. And Hey, people wonder why I am considered the, the loud and crazy guy in the show. It's because of TV yeah. and movies. I had, I had RoboCop on VHS <laughs> pretty much as soon as it was available. Dude. And it, it didn't dawn on me until I had children that my parents used to let me yeah. watch it. Yeah. And, you know, Peter Weller gets his hand just blown Bro, off. Bro, that scene, I'm telling you right oh. now, when I f- first saw that scene, I became phobic of guns for a while. Like, like guns terrified me after watching Murphy get absolutely yeah. destroyed and it is it's the it's the hand it's you know they're sitting there laughing and he's like Ugh! i mean he's just getting pumped full of lead and then he just walks up and they show his hand blow apart and i'm you know i'm probably five six just going what the fuck like yeah. you know as you said when you're a little kid watching movies like this you, you figure it's, it's just the news or it's 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 reality so yeah i'm a little I've fucked heard- up I don't know why that I had that I had aliens aliens that's another good one for little kids predator I remember sitting on my dad's lap and we were watching first blood and the only time he covered my yes was was when he sutured himself in the woods and I'm like I what are you what's going on here yeah that was the part of the whole deal you know so it's weird what we could watch and what was considered you know violent you know I love it I love it RoboCop is probably really high up there. I watched it with my wife a couple of weeks ago. I, I, I pulled out the disc because it's not available really to stream many places, and we put it on. And at the end of it, she's like, "That was really good." And I'm, I'm like, "Yeah, this movie's incredible." Yeah, no, the so, Robo, yeah, the RoboCops. That's the other thing about watching movies from when we were little. When you rewatch them as an adult, you, you do kind of have a whole new perspective on the film because you can actually understand some of the narrative yeah. themes they're weaving in there and it, kind of it being a portrayal of the time that the movie came out. Uh, but, you know, mm-hmm. we, we had a lot of classics like that, a lot of violent. I mean, there to me, the 80s and, and early to mid 90s was the heyday for R-rated action movies where you'd have yeah. a ton of foul language, lots of violence and at least 
one set of tits shown on screen, right? I mean, any Arnold movie, Sly movie, you know, there's going to be guns and and tough guys, but you know, there's always at least going to be a little bit of nudity, usually some breasts. So I think that's another reason I kind of got into watching all that demented shit as a young man. Uh, The good old days. I feel the same way, but I, I always try to kind of just is it me because i grew up in that era or is it true Terminator <laughs> 2 is still the best action movie ever made yeah uh, that's just my own personal opinion oh yeah yeah no i mean even, even the terminators and there's a lot of stuff that i it used to fuck me up like i th- i slept with a nightlight until i was in fourth grade for a reason i think you know when you're watching <laughs> alien at, at, at four or five and yeah. even ghostbusters those damn dogs to this day zool's dogs still fuck me oh, up yeah you know, I always thought they were going to come in and eat me after watching it as a little kid. So, speaking of which, did anyone catch the new uh, Ghostbusters trailer today? Um, I haven't watched the one that Jason Reitman's kid, or Jason Reitman is the person. It's Ivan Reitman's kid is directing it. I don't know. It looked pretty good. It's a uh, looks like it's a little more directly tied to Ghostbusters of of old, the the Murrays and Ackroyds. Uh, Ghostbusters. So there, there's a little PSA for you geeks out there, you pop culture fiends. <laughs> the new Ghostbuster trailer did drop today. All right, Sean, so let, let's kind of get into your your art form here. And I, I wish we had a larger screen to show off your... Uh, Sean has... And I, I kind of knew this coming in because uh, I don't want to say I creep on him, but you know, he's, I follow him on two accounts, look at his story sometimes, and he's got one of the... Probably the classiest and uh expensive man caves i've seen in the toy photography uh i mean he's he's the type where you know we're talking one hot toy per dilated shelf and there's multiple of these shelves we've got stand-up arcades he's got the katana sitting behind them it looks like hey sean what is the scale of that uh uh iron uh hulk buster behind you it's the hot toys holy shit look at that thing like it just stands there like what the fuck is wrong with me (laughs) but i um it will be hard to compete with if trevor's still in the chat i can't see he's got an an incredible collection oh yeah yeah no he is he goes live so so you see all the stuff that he has he has stuff going back um and he's got that one-to-one ralph McQuarrie uh vader helmet oh my god well, yeah. they, they don't well, call I'm him the to... one six shooter for nothing. He, he definitely is the the champion of that scale, and and I, I blame him for uh, my deep dive into that scale and the fact that yeah. I, I basically carry a a twenty plus figure pre order mark at this point in time on sideshow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so speaking of sideshow, I, I guess they're dickheads these days. Did you see that? That I don't know if you saw that pop up in the community that they're blocking. I think Hong Kong retailers from selling hot toys overseas. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't understand the nuances of it. I know that, you know, typically they want to corner their market if they think they have an official uh, distribution deal, but I don't know enough about it to have uh, an opinion. Yeah. You would think, want- you would think Sideshow- that Sideshow probably pays hot toys for some sort of deal right or, or, or otherwise they have no fucking leg to stand on and i may be wrong about this somebody in the, the can correct me but i i thought that they also fed other distributors in the united states like big bad toy store but i could be wrong about that um yeah, so it, it makes sense they would want to you know not have somebody creep in 
um, as a reseller. Um, but I know that Toys Wonderland also has what I what I hear is wonderful customer service. So it's you know it's hard to begrudge them for trying. Yeah, I I, I just know if you go through Sideshow, I mean, there's a lot of times you're not getting some of the new Hot Toys stuff for a couple months after they release in yeah. in Asia. So I, I think that was another reason a lot of people were kind of circumventing yep. sideshow but oh well that's where all it, my money's at i'm not changing at this point in time it, so. well and the rewards point they're basically just reimbursing you for shipping so. yeah that's yeah <laughs> the, the fucking coupons that expire for 25 bucks it's it's essentially your yeah. nrd or like you said your shipping so it is what it is yeah. i i've been like i said i've i drank that kool-aid and it, it it's it's hold is strong like i i yeah. love the shit i mean just last week i think we added a few more must-haves and I know Jack over at Xclue put out the uh, the the roadmap. I mean, it, it seems like there's going to be 25 to 30 Mandalorian inspired hot toys. So it's getting insane. Yeah. No, thank you. I just I did just get the the speeder bike and Scout Trooper today. Oh um, yeah, I'm still waiting on mine to get shipped in. I bet that's going to be a beast. Yeah, I can see it. it. Looks pretty big in the picture here. Well, I'm, I'll unbo- I'm unboxing it on Instagram, I think, at some point later in the week, All right. just for fun. Make sure, at visual underscore approach underscore photography, you can check him out there on Instagram, where maybe he does his uh, uh, unboxing. So, uh, in terms of toy photography, and that, that's why we're talking to Sean today. I mean, uh, obviously, he's a, he's a lovely gentleman, has some good opinions on Star Wars, but we're here to kind of talk to him about his art form, which is uh, high-quality toy photography uh predominantly i'd say you you shoot in the star wars arena but you've been known to dabble in some dc marvel and uh is, is this mythic legions or like some other what's this guy you just threw up a few days ago death I've dealer oh that's the uh the tv league that's the frank frazetta uh death dealer character got you and but- that's what i've been trying to uh, start a new nickname for Trevor, I've been referring to him as the Frank Frazetta of toy photography <laughs> because well, he's unbelievable. Frank is in the chat right now. So, Frank, what do you think about that? Are we going to call you F squared these days? <laughs> so, anyways, um, how long has your account been alive at this point in time? Was visual approach just for toy photography, or were you like me, where you're like, hey, this hobby seems kind of cool. It allows me to unbox my toys without feeling like a shithead. Uh, I'm just going to turn my personal IG into my toy photography. Or did you specifically create at visual approach photography for photography, toy photography? Uh, originally, it was just your typical shitty social media. Yeah, okay. Yeah. With, right. As, you know, oh, here's, here's my kid eating an ice cream cone, which is completely terrible. Um, and you know, birthday parties and stuff like that. And then, um, I got back into collecting and tooling around Instagram. I saw people were doing really interesting stuff with toys. And as a 40 year old, uh, person, I was looking for new ways to enjoy my collection and you can't really make them punch each other without people really kind of looking at you. Yeah. Like, like, yeah yeah i win it's frowned upon um so you can't enjoy them that way um or you will be medicated against your will so hey dude you you know as well as i do i know you don't shoot out in public very often you seem to be either like an indoor or you're mostly garage door studio right yeah 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 but i mean have you done any public shoots 
I was at the beach. Um, I was at Bethany Beach in Delaware last summer, and there's a there's a Commander Bly shot where he's kind of in the grass. Right, because uh, I I used to do those, and, and it's not much different than if we were sitting out there going pew 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 pew. You, yeah, I got you, Vader. You got to fall down. It's pretty. They look at us like, what the fuck is this person doing here? <laughs> you would think I was trying to push a humpback whale into the oh, ocean. Oh, right. Every, everyone comes up like, ooh, what's, what's going on? Is this guy, like, is he a special person they let out for a few hours? Like, yeah. like what is he doing? <laughs> yeah. Oh, they let you take your football helmet off. <laughs> exactly. So, but there were people, so I showed them. I'm like, yeah, listen, it's a toy. Here's what it will look like when it's done. And I kind of just showed them my Instagram. And, like, I, I felt like george costanza pulling the golf ball out of the blowhole of the whale everybody was gathering around while i'm shooting a picture of this stupid figure oh. uh, but it, it you know they, they seemed interested nobody was you know it was all it was cordial and it was in the middle of covid and my wife's like put your mask on and i'm because i kept taking it down like an idiot <laughs> um but yeah i do now i typically tend to stay inside or, or if i do shoot outside i'm in the backyard or on the side of the house blowing up fireworks i know i i used to do the the side of our house but uh, neighbors tore down the privacy fence so now i get an audience there even if i do that but oh uh, i've had cars drive by the house real slow like what is that asshole doing <laughs> you gotta love it what though man you gotta love it. I, I think sir dork probably has some of the the best public setups where people are he's got like cans oh, yeah. sliced up he, he literally has blow torches sitting next to him they're, like, they're like what is this guy a terrorist like what is he doing is he gonna fucking <laughs> light something on fire is he gonna blow us up who knows so how many Light years then show. sean have you been at it would uh, you say I so I would say that my first attempt at a toy photo shot where there was an environment around the figure was the Hot Toys Return of the Jedi Boba Fett, and it was in February of 2019. All um, right. I set it up in front of the TV that I had in the basement. I saw Jason Young's Digirama, and I was like, this is incredible. I don't have any real dioramas. I'm going to try to do something where I can make the background whatever I can find. Um, it's completely washed out. It looks terrible, but I did set the figure up in front of the TV and, and I shot my first toy photo. And I think the caption is trying something different. And once I took it out of the camera and I looked at it, it's completely unedited. Like I had no idea what the, what I was doing. Um, uh, still don't, but, um, I was like, wow, I am hooked. And I posted like four or five more times that weekend. And I just, I found an outlet for so my one of my first jobs and out of high school, I worked as an airbrush artist doing like murals and stuff at like laser tags and stuff like that. Oh, sweet. So <laughs> I, I always liked to 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 draw and I always liked toys and or paint. So I was looking for a way to kind of and, you know, as as when you have kids, you're available, you know, your your scope, your your uh, your free time completely basically disappears. True. So I need something, uh, a creative outlet that, that was also, um, you know, knew that I, you know, because I had limited time and toy photography kind of let was the, was the collision of two worlds with collecting and art. Um, and thanks to the folks on Instagram that were doing it well before I discovered it. And, and I was able to jump on their coattails. It does. It does um, kind of sweep you up. I mean, I, I don't want to compare it to yeah. you know hardcore drugs, but it is something. And I think a lot of toy photographers would would probably have a similar story to Sean. It, it's like that first picture 
you're like, okay, well, I don't feel like such an asshole buying all these toys now because now I'm I'm making art with them. And then you start getting yeah. the reaction from other like-minded individuals and it, it kind of snowballs into, I love this yeah. shit. I need to keep doing it. I need more time. I need more toys. I need more money. And, and then you, you kind of get into that loop. Uh, yep. And hopefully you don't go the way of myself where now you just spend a ton of money on toys but you never shoot them anymore. So don't, don't follow my path. Although there's been, you know, I don't think any of us were, were planning for, for COVID and, and how it upended certain lives. I've essentially been a taking care of my kid for the past year and a half uh, because of, you know, I'm, I'm in academia. So my schedule is a little more work, work life balance friendly than my wife's. So a lot of the time that I used to dedicate to the toys and the photography have now been taking up with either, doing pre-k for the little one or just making sure her and her friends don't kill each other because apparently mean girls start as young as five i'm learning and i'm starting to wonder if i would have been better off with a boy i thought raising a boy would be a pain in the ass because i'd have to make sure it didn't grow up to be a piece of shit but these little girls like it's just they they do not get along even at five years old it's like you know you'll you, one day one's gonna be a shithead to the next and then they all pile on and it's like what the fuck you're just yeah, neighbor yeah. you're just you're all neighbors you don't, you don't all have to be best friends it's just it's nice to have little people around to play with right outside your front door but holy shit so uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, I know exactly what you mean uh, when it came to that initial kind of wave of excellence. Like, oh, my God, this is awesome. Yeah. I want to keep doing this as much as I can and get uh, get as good as possible at it. Um, the, the fellowship whole thing really drew me into it, too. And that's like my whole my my whole goal and on all of it was to get to know people in the community and to I get to have conversations with them and we talk about toys and right. you know it, it's it's a it's a bonus that they enjoy seeing my work because I enjoy seeing their work and I love commenting on other people's photos or sharing them or or, or liking them and things like that so the fellowship of it all is is also a huge, yeah it's huge draw. it's probably the best or my most favorite aspect of it and it's it's what i miss because you know on haywood pop it's it's more or less a, a dead account uh, i'll be lucky to post once a week couple times a month and in instagram's eyes that's essentially a dead person so <laughs> I, I all I see now are, are like bot or followers just dropping. I don't really care as much as I used to, but my account is dead and it's not so much. Oh, I'm losing numbers. It's I'm missing out on the interactions because I am not participating. I'm not sharing as much work as I used to. And Sean's right. I mean, half the fun I remember. I mean, as much as I hate doing toy pops and that type of bullshit to get some exposure, I remember every night just going through and be like, holy shit, look what so-and-so did or look what so-and-so did this time. Wow, this is great. And it gives you ideas. And, you know, a lot of people, Sean's one of the best. They'll include the BTS with the final shot. Uh, So people like me that are trying to get better have some reference to do so. Uh, That's part of it's called we call it a community. So we should treat it like a community. You know, I, I learned because people were kind enough to share their BTS. Yeah. So I, I, it's the right thing to do is to, cause I don't have any secrets because nothing that I do is proprietary or special. It's, it's, it's an amalgam of all of my, of my own tastes, but also my, the influences of people that I, that I've met and, and connected with on Instagram. So 
I don't feel like I own any knowledge. So you gotta, you should absolutely share. If somebody messages me, I mean, there's uh, just, you're not a dickhead. You're like, get, get good. G I T G U D. You don't ever send that to him. Like, Hey Sean, how can I, how can I do shots like you? And you just reply, get good. (laughs) No, you know, because originally, you know, the person who really pulled back the curtain for me in, in a, in a profound way, not for me, but for the internet as a whole was Johnny on those tested shorts when he was, you know, doing his setup and yep. showing exactly how we did stuff. And one of the things that he said that I always tell people that I, I get, I tell people the advice that I learned from him and it was, he wanted to be a good, a great photographer who worked with toys. And so it's like, you can't rescue a bad photo in Photoshop, you know, take, learn how to take great photos. Great point. And the rest comes along with it. And that's what, absolutely what he does. Obviously it's Johnny. Um, But all of the, all of the folks that, that are prominent, that do this, that inspire all of us, whether it's Jason or um, Trevor or Tom, Iavawatu and all these guys, Jason, Black Series, um, they all take great photos and then, you know, some enhance more than others, but it's about the original photo and the original idea. And that's, that's where you start to grow your account um, and, and find your voice. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I've tried to make that clear. I, mean, I used to get on here and do a shtick like, wah, 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 no one likes me. Instagram doesn't like me. But but in the end, if you put out quality work, you're going to get a following. I, I mean, Sean, like like Sean said, visual approach is only, what, not even two years, fully two years old. And, and you're you're about to roll 13,000 followers. And there's a reason for that. I mean, he he posts regularly, but he also posts high quality art, as you're seeing on the the stream here. So uh, I, I at least know for me, I mean, sometimes I think I was a little, I don't know, I guess uh, don't get cocky, kid. Like I, I felt like my work was was better than it probably was. And I've kind of been I've gotten better at that. And, and, and Trevor, I know you get upset when I shit. I'm not shitting on myself and I wasn't before. I'm just telling you, IG literally thinks I can't log into my account. That's how dead it thinks my account is. It sends me emails once a week. Hey, would pop. We noticed you haven't been on. Do you need help logging? I'm not fucking around. It's like, do you need help logging into your account? So I've been kind of put into their you haven't participated penalty box. Yeah. So when I share photos now, they don't quite uh, get the reach that they even used to when I was a more regular poster. It's it's more me just pointing out the fact that these days, if you do not appease the IG algo, as in daily, multiple times a week postings, yeah, they they essentially put your account in a timeout. You know what I mean? Like I haven't added a follower in six months. So what's that? I mean, what, what what's happening? You know what I mean? But yeah, that's their the, the that algorithm is a uh, saucy minx. I, I've considered yeah. just just starting fresh and seeing if I could, you know, maybe catch a wave. Now that I, you know, my skills are a little bit better than they were when I started back in sixteen when I was just I doing think, Funko Pops. So they push reels so heavily now. Yeah, that you're right. So I basically I, now I'll just take the BTS stuff that I've accumulated so that I know where I put the lights in case I need to reshoot the freaking thing. And I'll end up making a reel out of it. And the reel has gotten me far more engagement than even the post does. Well, the, didn't, is, didn't they say, didn't the, someone that used to run IG basically said, um, Instagram is no longer a photo social network. It's TikTok. And yeah. I, and I it's think, everything. Yeah. 
I'll get an initial bump from a photo, but really uh, what carries me through the week, and I, tr I can really only post once a week now because of I, I, do, I do have two jobs. I have one that I use to pay for this uh, uh, annoying collection, um, and then I have my day job for, you know, home and kids. But um, it, it's I think I think character. he just said he's a spy. He's like a secret agent or something. You hear that? He's like Superman. You know, he's got his day job and then his his toy money job. Yeah. So, hmm, yeah. what is Sean getting into to make some cash? <laughs> uh, personal training is a very uh, lucrative business. <laughs> oh, okay. So is that why? Um, again, I don't want to seem like a creep, but you do you share a lot of UFC stuff, and then obviously those hilarious <laughs> fucking martial arts bozo videos. Yeah. I, I can't yeah. tell you how much time you have wasted of mine with those. You'll, you'll share something in the story and I'm like, all right, he got me here. I'm going to bite. And then I'll go follow the post. And then I just go down a rabbit hole of these, these idiot martial arts masters. You, you know, I know I can tell you love it, yeah. but they're like, they, they like stick out a finger and a whole room full of men will fall over. Like, Oh, <laughs> one of the most recent yeah. ones you shared was a guy with a big kendo stick. And he just goes wow. like, wow just to the air and a guy across the room flies back. Like he got hit by some sort of fucking force push. It's like, yeah. it, it's remarkable that, uh, I mean, they're victimizing those people that, pay, you know, they, they've convinced them that this works. So you know, on some level it does work. It just takes three months or six months of brainwashing. And then he is going to hit you and, you know, clean six or whatever pressure point he fucking made up that morning. Oh my God. And um, yeah, so it, I mean, it, it's, it's terrible and I'm glad that that guy exposes them and I love laughing and sharing it. All right. So now I get, it. I, I didn't know if you like, were actually into fighting yourself or, or some sort of, you know, it makes sense you're in, into the training thing. It, it, it's all kind of a lifestyle. So I get it. Yeah. In my past life, there was lots of wrestling and some jujitsu. So Got that's ya. those days. Fun. Got you. But no, those are great. Uh, trust me, he, he usually posts one to a story at least once a week. Check it out. I mean, that's obviously we follow visual approach photography for the art, but uh, I, I definitely get entertained with his fake martial arts masters uh, story posts. So if you need a good laugh, yeah. check him out. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, just Google the uh, Steven Seagal video where he proceeds to beat up a room full of of uh, Aikido masters uh, doing yeah. nothing like looking fat as shit and just like taking his <laughs> arm and, and completely flipping guys off their feet. Uh, that to me, that is the vintage martial arts master doing nothing video out there. But uh, it's a good example of, of the type of stuff that, that Sean's sharing from those people. Um, uh, back to the, the toy photography. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming just looking at your page and we're going to talk about a few of your shots that I kind of pulled up here. Uh, I, Star Wars is your your go to line to shoot. Is that fair to say? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Predominantly Star Wars, and and then I, I there was um, a conversation that it was uh, Corona Four. Jason and Trevor had on um, his YouTube show about trying new stuff and branching out, and that's kind of what pushed me to try new lines. Um, and to, I have, again, I have like copious amounts of shit that I don't shoot. And so I'm trying now more and more to, uh, flex some creativity and, and shoot some new stuff. But my, I, 
all of my ideas and my main source of inspiration is galaxy far, far away. Have you noticed, I mean, I'm just looking here at, at recent shots and, and I think a lot of us probably experienced something similar, but since you are predominantly a, a star Wars artist, have you mm-hmm. noticed when you post non star Wars, that it just does not quite get the reaction that your star Wars stuff does. Yeah, I think, again, I think it's the, uh, I mean, it could be a number of things. It could be the quality of my photo, um, but I, it could also be that the the people that follow me predominantly interact with Star Wars, so right. that's what they expect in their timeline. So Instagram probably shows it to less people that, that It's crazy, me. right? Yeah, because it, it, it's like yeah. it almost must know, because, you know, we're looking at your 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 Frazetta thing here, the Death Dealer, I mean, that is a awesome looking shot, just just as quality as the Mando that precedes it and the sexy Boda, uh, Boba that, that followed it. Yet, you know, that one's at, at 973. The others are, you know, pushing 2000. So it, it is, it's like, I mean, again, th- this uh, algorithm has way more self-awareness than I think we know. Yeah. Um, Cause l- yeah. let's be real. When you're scrolling through your feed, it, all of us, I believe at this point, we're kind of conditioned just to double tap, double tap, double tap, right? So if you're going through and you see a piece of art like like Sean's Death Deal, you're probably going to double tap that whether you're a Star Wars fan or not. But I do believe that it's probably not even being shown to yeah. m- most of your followers because of the these kind of their, their Star Wars passion. And it's predictable. Like, I'll know that if I, if I post... Um, like the like a war machine or batman and it's at the shot that i'm proud of it's gonna it's gonna cap out at a certain um count i, I and so it and again it doesn't bother me i, I don't again it, it doesn't matter um if i like the shot i'm gonna post it um but yeah it's it's there's a clear pattern between my star wars and non-star wars right. did you hear that everyone that's a healthy mind frame right there who gives a shit what the algorithm's going to do? If you're proud of the art, post it. It took me a long time to get to that point, all right? I, I used to be, you know, sour grapes left and right. Wah, wah. Nobody likes me. IG hates me. I'm going to go eat worms type of crap. But now it's just like, hey, if I, if I like it and I put the time in to edit it and, and share it, I'm going to fucking share it whether it gets one like or, or these days 200 likes. It, 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 it just doesn't I matter. I still have... I still have, I would say, 25 to 30 percent of my shots end up on the cutting room floor. Like there's still plenty of stuff that I shoot that I don't post. But that's not because I'm afraid of its engagement. It's my personal. Yeah, you just you didn't like it. So when you do a shoot, Sean, are you someone that goes into it? And I think I know the answer. But for the rest of the, the listeners here. Do you go in with a with a vision and a plan, like a concrete plan? This, you know, let, let's let's take the most recent Boba Fett shot that we just featured today. You know, he's it's, he's like, you know, he's all cocky. He's celebrating. He's he's rolling solo back to the huts. Uh, you, you know, feeling good about himself. Now, is that something that you kind of had pre-planned before you went to shoot, or was this something like, hey, I got some time to shoot today? Boba has been fun. You know, I just did the Boba pizza party. People like that. I'm going to try to do something Boba. Are you, are you, yeah, more, I, are you more planned or are you more organic with your shoots? It's both really. Sometimes it's, oh, I, I, I see that I want. So what happened with Boba Fett gliding on the carbonite? 
um, I was kind of picking up in the collection room after, you know, my, the, my three-year-old had destroyed most of it. And, um, I saw Boba Fett and I was like, man, I'd love to do another like kind of cheeky Boba Fett shot <laughs> after him on the shelf. And, and so I was like, I wonder if I could get him to lay across the carbonite in a convincing way. So I was tweet messing around with it and, and it worked. So I went in the garage and I shot it. I came home. <clears throat> from training for the for the Boba Fett in the apartment scene, I came home from working with a couple of training clients, and on my way home, I got the idea that I wanted to transform Jabba's palace into his apartment and have him using Han as the coffee table. And <laughs> yeah, this so shot is I, just fantastic. I have it up on the live stream. If you are watching, if you're not, you can check it out at Visual Underscore Approach Photography on Instagram. It's just yeah, we we talked about this I think a week or two ago on the top five. This scene. I would say it's it's a little different than what you usually do. I mean, you, I would say you do humor, but sometimes it's a little more uh, violent humor, right? Where I mean, some of the shots I'm going to pull up that are my favorite, where you have Grogu like sitting in the background watching uh, Din vaporize people and whatnot, which you know it, it it's a very dynamic dynamic looking scene. But there is a little bit of wink wink kind of laugh yeah. at the type. You know, it, there is a little silliness to the shot. Where this one, where you, you know, the setup is just ingenious. Like you said, you know, Han is the coffee table, Han and Carbonite. You got all those TMNT props out there for the bounty hunters to yep. be uh, snacking on. Now, is this one that you, you planned a bit more or is this another one where you're like, oh shit, you know, there's a, my kids dollhouse couches and there's a little TV. I think I can do something with this. I actually, so I, I came up with the idea I was driving home from this the the training studio and i was like i have to sometimes i'll get an idea that i'm so excited about i have to shoot it right away because i'm convinced that that this idea will be out there and i will have missed my chance so i stopped and i picked up the I, I picked up the the couch and the coffee table and the tv a hobby lobby and i came home and i had that shot finished within probably 90 minutes um some of those props are actually my daughter's <laughs> I borrowed them from her, like the 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 bag of chips and stuff, or the cookie bag and and the bottle of water and the soda can, or those are hers from her toys. Um, but yeah, that was. I've been I've been looking for a way to do something that was not. I I wanted to shoot Boba Fett so badly, but again, there were so many. I couldn't find an angle to do something that would stand out. Like I I do action stupid stuff all the time, and I just didn't have an idea. I'm going to complain about the knee pads again, but I want, I needed to do something where his legs were straight because when you bend his leg, the knee pad stays on his thigh instead of actually covering his knee. Um, so I was like, I'm going to have him cross his legs across this coffee table and look like he's just kind of vegging out. And then Dengar is going to show up to watch the game with, um, <laughs> with a pizza. It's just, just brilliant. I mean, I, I, I do personally think you're one of the best posers out there. Not like you're a jerk off, but, poser of no, yeah. figures yeah. i'm not calling sean a poser but he's very good at posing little pieces of plastic because that i mean those of us that at least have dabbled in the hobby we understand that that, that could be one of the most difficult things to do to pose these things in a way to make them look alive and natural and i think in you know uh, chill shots like this could be even harder than action shots because you do yeah. have to make Boba Fett in this apartment scene look like he is chilling like a villain. And that's exactly 
the the feel you got. I mean, he totally looks like, you know, you were a fly in the wall. You were at this party. You were invited. You know, maybe they wanted someone to document their most recent bounty hunt. And you were just capturing stills, right? You, you know, you were you. No one was paying attention to you as a photographer. They're all partying, eating their their pork rinds, and it just looks like you were in the palace with these dudes, hanging out, watching whatever sort of Twi'lek porn they have on right now. Yep. Yep. It, it just is. I mean, the pose is just brilliant. It is just a very even holding the remote. It looks like he is actually working the remote. That's how. <laughs> Uh, you know, on point, the posing is here. I think that that type of posing is far more challenging than action posing. Yeah. I mean, you can convey in an action pose and have it not be perfect, um, or at least to yourself, not feel perfect. But like, it took me the better part of 90 minutes to get Boba Fett draped across that slab of carbonite so that he looked like he actually had his <laughs> hand on his skin and and that he was, you know, in that pose, um, because to sell the shot, the pose does have to be as tight as it can be. Where again, in action, I feel like it can be a little bit more forgiving. Did you have to tack him at all on the couch, or did you balance? Did you get the perfect balance spot there? No, he's he's balanced. What did I use tack on? Oh, I used tack on uh, Dengar's hands for the pizza box. Hey, he didn't he didn't want to comply. He was being the diva that day on set. He just he couldn't hold the fucking yeah. box. Danger, just hold to the fucking box, right? No, yeah. he's the he's one. Different, <laughs> I think because he wears all of those bandages. So I had <laughs> I also had to use tack to keep the pizza box closed. So and that was the time I'd ever used tack. I bought it that day at Hobby Lobby when I bought the couch and the TV. It does come in handy. It's it's, it's one tool that I, I typically forget to use, but when you remember, it actually can be used for a lot. And we're we're talking about I don't a sticky tack. I don't know if that's the the professional name, but it's it's not quite like putty. It's kind of it's a little more rubbery than putty. It's reusable, yeah. and you can use it to you know stick on figures' feet if you want to try that way. If you don't have stands and you and uh, or you don't care about getting uh, feet in frame, uh, hanging stuff with it, or you know like Sean said, sticking accessories to your figures with it. Yeah. Um, lots. Of I little- used it to stick Rogu to the rock. Um, for that uh, Hot Toys Mandalorian portrait that I did. Got you. Yeah. So like I said, that's, a, that's another tool. Any other types of secret tools that you may use that might help some listeners here? Any other tricks that you, you, you can think of that, you know? Um, trying to think. I, I, again, I think it's just getting to know your camera and, and knowing kind of the story that you want to tell. And, and I think going in with a plan is important. Um, I can I, I can second that because I suffer from being planless because uh, a lot yeah. of times it's like, oh, shit, it's Wednesday night. My dad's here. They're engaged. I'm going to run downstairs and try to take some shots of the new figures that showed up. And that's it. It's literally I got time. Let's get scramble. Yeah. Let's throw up some of the loom cubes, get some, you know, I'll, I'll fill up my. Uh, what the hell do I use these days? It's a, oh, a steamer, a hand steamer, and go. I don't even have a fucking background. I'll just throw a blackboard back there and try to get the light to reflect off the smoke. Um, yeah. So it is. I have a list of ideas that I kind of keep adding to, and they change. Sometimes I'll write an idea and I'm like, how the, there's no way I can ever shoot this. So they, they, they evolve and turn into to other stuff. But I do like to have 
a list of ideas that I can pull from so that I, because I've gone into the garage or outside without a plan and it's been a slog. I get nothing accomplished and you end up hating yourself at the end of the day. Um, I was going to ask, do you get, do you get a, a little nutty during a setup? Like, do you ever find yourself getting so angry? You might destroy figures Punch tables, um, stab tables. I mean, these are all things I've found myself doing at one point in time. Or are I, you a little I more was, calm? So if I if if I can't get um, if the lighting's not in the right position in my old age, I've learned that if I just leave the the immediate area and I go do something like mow the lawn, which I should have done two weeks ago or something. <laughs> you take a time um, out. I love it. You, you give yourself a yeah. breather. If I go back in with a clear head, typically the answers will present themselves. So not not you know, it, so that I can at least get this idea in the can. Um, I've definitely been frustrated if figures fall over because that is absolutely. Okay, I, I was going to ask: Have you ever had a a shoot to where you spent all this time staging the scene, getting the figures posed? You've got it lined up in frame. You're ready to go. And then one of those cocksuckers falls over and starts a domino effect. Yeah. Now, have you ever had it to the point where you were like, you know what? My sanity is too important right now. I don't want to have a stroke. Fuck you guys. I'm out. And you just, you cancel the whole shoot. You cancel the scene. You're never going to come back to it. I'll go again. That's where I, I, it has, because I do some congested action shots sometimes that are just, silly but the one success story I, and we talked that you showed me this shot that, that, that you may mention it earlier was where ahsoka is a basically all yeah, I'll, I'll go to that right now actually while um, we're talking. they're fighting the, the cadre of stormtroopers and they're all kind of performing a specific action um that is the only shot congested action action scene i think i've taken where i did not have figure dominoes um I'm using a picture wire um, and you, you can, I think you can still see it in the photo if you look closely enough, but it's wrapped around Ahsoka's ankle and the stormtroopers like inner thigh. Um, Cause she'll, she's tied to the figure to bet. So, and they're balanced, but the rest of them remarkably don't fall over. And um, so I got that photo taken. And the only, the only reason I had to kind of, you know, I, I certainly tweaked the poses for a while. Um, was to was to get kind of the gobo or the, the the smoke and the light mixed with the church windows. That was really the thing that I was waiting on the most or trying to get right the most. But those figures did not fall over in that shot, um, which is remarkable. But a lot of the stuff I do, like in Jabba's Palace, where they're you know fighting or whatever, yeah, those they fall over all the time because you know sometimes you know, they're, they're connected or somebody's grabbing a blaster or they're knifing somebody. And, it's one of the um, worst things that can happen to, at least to me. I mean, I, there are times where I, I've literally wanted to stab my eyes out because of things falling. I'm already a little like, Oh, come on. Yeah. I just, I want to get a shoot. I want to get a shot and you get everything set yeah. up. It's all set up and you're about ready to hit your remote and one fucking thing tips over and it's just a bam, 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 knocks everything out of frame. It's not, I don't know if you do, but I'm not sitting up there putting marks there. So I know where to restage the figure. It, it just, it, it can get a little frustrating. I, um, speaking of tips, one tip that you used to do, and I don't know if you still use it, that kind of made me, 
want to kick my own balls was keeping the figure stands for the black series figures that come with them and using okay. them to help do running poses. Uh, I was yeah. the dickhead that would just throw those out with the box. I was like, Hey, fuck this. I, I, I don't need this shit. But it, it, I remember seeing you use them expertly to do, you know, run poses, action poses, because you were typically shooting from their waist up. You didn't have to worry about wiping that that large plastic triangle in Photoshop. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, people listening, if, if you're as dense as I am, those are actually great little stands for action figure photography. Uh, we're talking about the yeah. the triangle foot stands that come with some of the Black Series figures. Not all, but some do come with it. It, it felt like it, most of it were, were the, those GameStop exclusives. Yeah, yeah. So, the and stuff, they, they came with those. Yeah, because the Walmart exclusive Return of the Jedi Luke is where I got the other I, I've actually found them to be quite useful, especially, like I said, if you are if you're not planning on capturing the entire figure because uh, you don't have to worry about using wires or, or sticky tack. It's a nice solid yeah. base. You can get them to balance pretty well on one foot. So there, there's a tip that that Sean at least taught me. Uh, let, let's talk about some of these other shots that I, that I had picked. We just uh, the one we're looking at now in the live stream. If you're not watching the video, is a, an amazing shot of uh, Commander Ahsoka Tano taking on some stormtroopers with the armorer Din and uh, the heavy. Sean's got one of his patented. Uh, dusted stormtroopers and by that it's they they essentially get vaporized and their their armor is just left suspended in midair which is fantastic uh and it's in your what i like you you even called it but it's it's your your church dio which is one of your um i call it that because you called it that all right well sorry i didn't i didn't (laughs) didn't know it had an official name but sean also is is quite the the dio maker we're actually gonna i i picked one of his most impressive dioramas he's created and that is the uh, practical mustafar set which is just fucking bonkers and i know that that went on to i mean i think your your lavas dio spawned multiple other accounts uh, doing the same thing so that that just goes to show the the, the power of sharing in the community and, and offering oh, yeah. up bts because i know you got at least one or two other accounts to try the the lava dio i might as well pull it up while we're talking about it uh but a yeah. lot of people reach to show me their progress and and ask me specifics about it and i was more than happy to share yeah lots of people yeah so the shot we're looking at sean it's it's your um it's not a what if i believe you pulled this from the eu but it's a it's a shot of vader and luke fighting on the banks of mustafar and you got or the uh, banks of a lava river and you got a uh, palpy back there chilling in a throne and for those not oh, in the was, know there you go that was discarded um, or uh, concept art for Return of the Jedi. Yeah, there you go. You have Revenge of the Jedi. This is based on some early Return of the Jedi concept art from the great Ralph McQuarrie. And and really, yeah. I mean, again, it's it's a beautiful shot. It's a great action scene. You got Luke jumping up, getting ready to do a, a, a two-handed slash to his dad. Then you got kind of the, you know, Luke lost and here's his lightsaber. But what I want to point out, and I'll, I'll flick through some of the BTS because that's what Sean does. That is all practical. Dude built a lava river and is able to light it practically in a way that makes it look just like it did when they did the same effect in Revenge of the Sith. And I actually, I believe you pulled some of the ingredients from the BTS on Revenge of the Sith, right? 
So there is a there's a there it's it's about an hour long, but there's a documentary segment on the Revenge of the Sith um, DVD called In Under a Minute, and they talk about them fighting on that that lava collection grid where Obi Wan and Anakin and the the volcano erupts and then is kind of splashing onto the collection grid when the um when the shields go down and stuff and they showed them making the Mustafar river. So they'd be all, all of the, everything you need to know to make it yourself is in that section. So he carves, they carve it out of foam. And once they, once they said that lava emits light, which we all know, cause it's fucking glowing. And they said that they <laughs> lit it from underneath. I was like, Oh, I can do this. So I basically copied their design and instead of use, I didn't need it to flow because I'm doing still photography. Originally I did fill it with Elmer's glue, which never hardened and it was leaking absolutely oh, everywhere. I bet your wife it's, loved that. Yeah. I, I had to like scrape it off the garage. <laughs> like a paint paper. Or, or is it like, um, like my wife where she's like, Hey, you got the basement, you can do what you want down there, but fucking leave the rest of the house alone. You get yeah, the garage in the basement or, or or was she ready to knock you yeah. out for getting glue everywhere? No, she she's um very, very supportive of it because I think it's validated by the response from the community and she sees how happy I am to get to know people in the community yeah, and right. And and she knew that I was into this kind of weird stuff before. Um <laughs> But yeah, literally about there was about a, it all leaked out. There was about a gallon of oh god, glue. <laughs> so I'm kind of collecting it and scraping uh, it up. I ended up remaking it um, using the same you know uh, formula, but I used epoxy and then I just tinted it with orange paint, and then it hardened in like six hours, and it never leaked. Um, and now it still exists today. Thank God. How long did that take you from start to finish to build? We're talking about his um, lava set here. It probably took a, a couple of days because there's joint compound on the foam to kind of create the texture on the surface. So once once that dried and I was able to paint it, it so yeah, probably a couple of days. And I was once I start something, I'm really eager to finish it. So most of the dioramas that I have, I can get done within a weekend because I usually am building a diorama for a specific idea. Um, so I get like kind of it's a single focus and I won't really stop until it's done. Did you have you always been building your own dios or is this something that you kind of grew into doing the more you dove into the hobby? It became it, yeah, so the latter. I started doing it more as I grew into the hobby and I needed more environments. Um, and I saw one of the, the first dioramas that I made, I have this giant rock wall that I can shoot six scale in front of. And I, just, I watched a video on YouTube of this guy making a model train um, um, kind of facade, like a, it looked like a mountain. And I thought that, you know, I would love to try it. So I gave it a go and I, I just continued to make more and more of them. And um, and it, I knew that I couldn't really shift money from collecting to commissioning a diorama because <laughs> they, they, they cost what they cost for a valid reason. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And, and so I thought that maybe there was a way that I could learn about the process and make something that I could use in my own photos. 
Um, and it's tons of fun. I mean, it's a blast. Yeah, no, I, I've, I mean, again, your, your photography is impressive, but you've also gotten ridiculously good at the dio aspect. And I've, I've talked about this with Nick. It's, it does seem like those of you that reach a certain stratosphere within the community, it's a mix of obviously you got the eye, you can set up the figure and take the shot. You've got some of the post-processing skills, but you also yeah. start to dabble into other creations like creating dioramas, other accessories, 3D printing. It's like I've seen a lot of people grow into this Jason B. Michael, plastic action, um, visual approach. Uh, work more or less all of them kind of started you know just just doing the basic stuff but as they got better at the craft then it started to expand into other areas of the art form the the dio creation i think you're right it really comes down to do you have the money to pay other people to do it or are you going to do it yourself the the ability and and the kind of know-how to do it Um, i have a friend um who said to me once we were actually talking about work how dare you Uh, yeah and um but he said to me something that stuck with me he said there's a difference between effort and capability and i think that once you realize you know that if if it's something you can increase your capability by putting in the required effort and so i became obsessed with with all of it and and seeing how far i could take it and 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 if I could get better than than I was currently, and I, I was far more confident when I first started, I took a picture of Predator and Alien um, that basically looks like somebody threw up, um, and I took a photo. <laughs> and I took that photo, and I remember thinking, "This is it. This is the photo that's going to make me that that's going to propel me. Yeah. You're going to start um, getting commissions and people are going to hire you to, to shoot toys. This is the greatest <laughs> thing we'll ever see. And I got like 70 likes and I was oh, like, man. Huh. I'm about ready to start scrolling through your profile to find it. It's, it's pretty far back. Um, <laughs> thank goodness. But it's still there again. I think that it's important for people to see. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, I have a lot to learn. I love that I've story, learned. though, because I, I I bet a lot of people in the community have had that same feeling at one point in time. Like, I finally did yeah. it. I took the shot that's going to make me plastic action. Yep. Here we go, baby. Bring on those sponsorships. Yep. I'm getting a new pair of shoes. And then you post Charging it. Me. It's like, wah, Charging wah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Try again. I'm going to get follows from everybody. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, if I put my cell phone number in the caption of this, it would yeah. be ringing off the line. Right, right, right. You're going to have to get an agent, a manager. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm surprised it didn't get reported for being offensive. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely... Oh, I love it, um, man. Thinking like, yes, I've done it. I've done it. <laughs> I did this. And so I've gotten so much more critical of myself, you know, almost borderline self-loathing. Um, well, don't go that, too far. Like if you start getting into my territory, you've gone too far. Like the, the, the self-hate definitely fucked me up and it has probably stunted my growth overall. So don't go, don't go f- too far to the dark side. All right. Try to try to be po- think, a little I, more positive. Yeah. I just think that, you know, uh, what's that saying? Uh, satisfaction is the death of desire. So I want to get better. Because again, I, I feel like I'm pushing myself. It's a, I'm in competition with myself. You know, you want you want to you want to be as good as you can be. And yeah. It's not easy to put your work out there 
for for people to to look at and you know some people may want to print it out and wipe their ass with it they hate it so much you know but <laughs> it, it you do it because you're hoping that it will resonate with somebody and that it will be it'll be a conversation you can talk to somebody about it um so that that's that's kind of yeah. All right. So, so shots, we, we, you can definitely generate some conversation with is your, it's a very recent hyper real Vader shot. And this is the one where you took your son's globe accident and turned it into just an, an yeah. insane practical effect. All right. So people, if you're not on the live stream, Sean essentially recreated Thanos's moon pole from infinity war, but used Vader. And the impressive aspect is, is not so much, you know, mimicking that shot using the dark Lord of the Sith. It's the fact that the planet in the background, the moon in the background is all practical. Uh, so you, you see Vader, he's got his fist up, he's got his blade out and you can see him with the force cracking the planet. It's exploding from the middle. It's starting to barf out its core. And, and, and again, you know, Sean is always helpful, always pr provides BTS. But if you look, it, it really is that entire shot is practical. And, and I would say you're predominantly a practical shooter, right? I mean, you, you don't typically, you, you do a little post and you add some flair here and there. But for the most yep. part, you're an in-camera type of effects person, right? I think that I can't visualize like I can't shoot components of a photo separately and then bring them together in post. It all has to be and it's not it's a it's a, um, a shortcoming of my skill set. Um, so it's a sorry about that. It's a shortcoming of my skill set and also just kind of how I do things visually. Uh, I need to see it all in frame so that I can tweak I, it. I can totally understand that. I'm, 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 I'm very feeble when it comes to vision and, and kind of yeah. seeing the big picture. I, I, like you said, you need to see everything in that little window, right? Then, you know, like, yeah. okay, this is, this is what I'm going to have to work with after I hit that button. Is that acceptable yeah. to go from there and then maybe, you know, yep. tweak it in, in Photoshop with some effects and color corrections and whatnot. Do you do a lot of like yeah. how much post? So this shot here, we're t again, we're talking about the Vader moon pool. How much post did you have to do? I mean, do, do you do color grading? Do you? Um, I, so I like, I, so I pull the picture into Lightroom and I, I fix it as much as I know how to in Lightroom. I use the clarity slider okay, a lot. Yep. I use DAs. Um, I will change, I'll, I'll suck out some, some different colors. You know, if there's too much red, I'll desaturate the red a bit. Um, I'll do the lens correction. What else do I do? It depends. Sometimes I'll pull out or add blacks or shadows or highlights. It depends on, you know, how the photo right, came into right. the camera. Then it goes into to Photoshop. And if I need to, I'll remove a wire. Uh, I will. I, I so I clean up Vader because Vader is always covered in shit. So I'll, I'll I'll zoom in and I'll clean up his helmet um, by removing all the dust. I I, I know that and, practice all too well. I was just yeah. doing it last night on Mando's fucking armor. You get all that shitty yeah. dust off of it. I like doing that. Like those are the things I I look forward to having a shot that needs to be edited. Because it's a moment, it's a time where I can kind of sit there and kind of 
sounds stupid, kind of get to know the photo and tweak it to try to make it seem or fit the vision that I had when I took it. Um, I just learned how to do layer masks. <laughs> um, so um, I, I use layers of soft light to try to enhance some of the colors or mute other colors. Um, and then I will, of course, like I'm an idiot when I use embers, like I'll use sparks on fucking everything. Um, but I like the way that that kind of it, it will will enhance an, an effect. No, it does. Even in this vision. Vader shot, you, you keep it light. They're blurred out and they're kind of in the foreground, but it does add a another layer yeah. to the, some depth to the shot. I I I I'm always fighting my instincts. My instincts are are to go heavy, and then I always pull back. I always it always looks crazy, and then it, then at the end, it's it's more muted. Um, and I'm learning in my um, as I've done it more and more that that less is always more, um, at least for for me. Um, so yeah, I but I I think that Photoshop has helped me immensely um, tell the stories that I want to try to tell, however ham-fistedly I do it. Yeah. So the the next shot I have pulled up here, I, I'd say this is one of your your less effect intense shots. It is the Bo Katan running neck stab shot with an imperial getting kicked out of a hatch how's that for a title um but th this is another shot where you know you just got great action i like the run pose but there's it, it's telling a story through the depth like in the background there's almost more going on than than the foreground you, yeah. you got like you always to me, you always have multiple stories in most of your shots. You know, you, we're going to get to some of the Grogu ones, but it's like Grogu's doing his thing. Din's doing his thing. And this one, again, you, you know, yeah. the main focus is on Bo. But if you look in the background, you get, again, the Imperials getting booted. It looks like uh, another Mando's just looking down at a, at a dead stormtrooper, like, get some. It's just, uh, you definitely have multiple layers or, or, or stories going on in, in each of your shots here. That idea, the the Mando kicking the Imperial officer out of the ship, was the main idea of the shot. So I was trying to, I was like, well, I kind of need something else to be going on. I wanted it to be more of a squad of Mandos doing stuff. And I just, I hadn't had Bo-Katan for that long, um, and, and I and I always loved the fact that these the Mandos have these little vibro blades and and they get to do stabby stuff. Um, so I thought that I would combine the two ideas into that one shot. And it's one of the first times I was using, I think I had like a, uh, a printed, uh, poster board, like kind of acting as the environment outside of the ship. Um, because compositing that kind of stuff is again, a challenge. So I felt like I had the ability to do more because I could extend the scene. Um, and I'd like to fill the frame when I do those kinds of shots and as much as I can without making them too congested and i've certainly done that a few now times. in this shot you're using that cocksucking ubiquitous or ubiquitous dio right the nova revol yeah. now are you like me and you've you've built one uh, formation of it and you've left it that way for years now because you don't feel like dealing with that yeah. nonsense again okay good i use as the ceiling <laughs> for my space i know ball. And that is, I love it. I love it. They, all people that tell me, they're like, dude, you're an asshole. Just take it apart and build the next. I'm like, no, I actually, for I a father's to... day, my wife's like, you know, what do you want for father's day? He's like, you know what? I'd really appreciate if someone would build this cock sucking set <laughs> for me. And that's what she did. And it's going to stay that way until I get rid of it, sell it, whatever. I just don't like rewiring the lights. Yeah. 
Um, the rest of it is fine, but it works so well as the ceiling environment. I love it. No, it does. It does. It, it does add a nice, a nice ceiling because you get that light effect. You get kind of a dome, and it does. It, it seems in your shots to uh, blend well with uh, space walls. Yeah, it works well. And I recently started kind of tilting the space walls in either direction to kind of mirror what they've been doing in Mandalorian as far as the ship's interiors and stuff. And a little bit of gaffer's tape goes a long way. All right. So here we're looking at one of your Mandalorian fight scenes in what we'll call it the Jabba Palace Dio. And this is the one again. The four the foreground action is fantastic. You have Din, he's combating two two troopers. There's some great posing going on here with Din grabbing the gun to kind of keep the shot away. It's actually shooting the other stormtrooper in his dick. Uh, the other guy is is kind of getting his face elbowed by Din. You got the armor just beating on someone's head in the background. But to me, the the very last part of the shot, the the very the, the, the furthest away subject from the camera. You got Grogu wearing like a Jedi robe and a little blue saber just watching all this go down. And it's it's fantastic. <laughs> I took the I have a three and three quarter scale Yoda from Attack of the Clones, and it came with this little like die cast looking billet aluminum little saber. So I glued it into his hand and made a silly little like cloak <laughs> arm. Well, here, I stuff. think there's another one. Uh, just kind of yeah. Th- this is one of my favorites here, where you have Grogu strapped in the Boba Fett jetpack, wearing his helmet, while Din is Din has vaporized a scout trooper, leaving only his helmet and boots. I mean, this this is <laughs> this is like vintage visual approach photography. I think here. That shot was originally uh, Mando vaping the the scout trooper on the speeder bike, but I couldn't get it. And so I abandoned that idea originally. And then I was like, I'm just going to put them in Jabba's palace. I'll have them running. I just want to try this vaporizing effect, see if I can get the helmet to look like it's kind of spinning in midair while the rest of them just. It's fantastic. But yeah, that that was I I, and I ultimately went back um, to retake that speeder bike shot on the lava fields of Navarro a couple maybe a month ago. Um, but yeah, I, I had to revisit that to get it to do it the way that I had originally intended. All right, I think I think uh, oh, I actually went through all of them. The, the one I didn't send you is just one I was going to bring up, and it's only because you have dubbed these these two troopers, Matt and Nick. And yeah, it, I love it's that. a fun shot using uh, Sean's lava dio. You got one stormtrooper punting or, or kickballing a skull, and the other one's kind of looking at him like, "Yo, what the hell? That's somebody's head." As the caption states, and uh, I, I don't know if we share or whatnot. And, and Sean's like, "Yeah, this is uh, Matt and Nick," and I'm of course the one kicking a dead person's head, and Nick is the one going, "Hey, yeah. dude, calm down a little bit." So. Uh, always appreciate being turned into mascots from from the community, especially in, in great looking shots like this. Uh, all right, Sean. Well, that was a. T- I was just trying to get the pose for to see if I could get the. Kick oh, it was great. It's, it's, it's a fantastic. It's like I said, you really are one of the best posers out there, and poser in in the best sense of the term, poser. You know, I'm not trying to say you're 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 pretending to be someone you're not. 
but when it comes to posing little pieces of plastic at visual underscore approach underscore photography can definitely teach you a few things. All right, man, we're about uh, winding down the, this chat. I, I appreciate all the time you gave us and some of the stories you told. Are, are there any just, you know, personal tips that you, you might want to leave some of the, the, the listeners with or new photographers with? Any, any words of wisdom from a, a legend in the community? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, as someone who's made every mistake possible, let me tell you <laughs> that um, I, I think that, again, learning what your camera can do. Um, I went to an application called Creative Live where they have photography courses and Photoshop courses where you can learn. I took a course called Environmental Portraits where it kind of showed you how to tell a story by putting somebody in their environment. Um, and I took that course. They're super affordable. You can watch it at your leisure. It's like 10 hours of classroom stuff, and it shows you kind of how to light, uh, whether you're using um, V-flats or bounce cards or all of the stuff that photographers use. And then you can scale that down for toy photography. But as I mentioned earlier, it's taking a good photo first and not trying to rescue it in Photoshop or with uh, effects apps. I think your, your best chance for success in taking the best photo or telling the best story is, is by taking a good quality photograph um, and and in your own way. Right, excellent. I'll actually give a tip for Sean because I, I've seen this in some of his BTS. Don't go, don't get so caught up on having all the best equipment, gear, you name it. I mean, this guy uses toilet paper rolls for snoots, foil for reflectors. I mean, if, if, if it's a discarded household item, Sean is probably I, using it in his toy photography. I am the recycling <laughs> And my camera hood, my camera hood is an empty roll of Gorilla tape <laughs> with cardboard stuff in See? And... I've never, it's, it's worked so well for me for keeping the, the, the light yeah. out and it, I, you can make barn doors out of cardboard. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a frugal, but I, but I, I spend it on dumb shit like that. Yeah. So I love it. It's, you know, it, it, you, it, again, it's not always about your gear. It's, it's about 100%. It's effort um, and, and what you know about the camera and, and doing the best to tell the story that you want to tell. The gear is important, but it's not as important as your your vision and, and, and your desire to take a Yeah, I mean, I would, I would argue that having a, a DSLR gives you a, a few more options than, than um, smartphone photography, but you, you can still do some crazy stuff on a smartphone. And it really comes down to, like, like Sean has said, is can you take just a good shot? Start there. Can you frame a shot? If you can frame a shot... Then you can start learning all the other bells and whistles to uh, toy photography, getting crazy in post, uh, maybe graduating the dio making, uh, composite work. You never know. So, hey, man, I appreciate the talk. Uh, a, lot, yeah. a lot of good stories, some good tips and, and tons of, of awesome Star Wars artwork. So everyone out there, if you're new to the show, hopefully you are. We need new people. Uh, you can follow Sean at visual underscore approach underscore photography on Instagram. Uh, great follow, very informative, and you're always going to get some quality content to check out. So don't forget visual approach photography on Instagram. Sean, it was a pleasure. Great to finally talk to you. 
uh, one of these yeah. days, maybe we'll all meet up again at some sort of a geeky convention. You never know. Like you said, we have uh, built a community. We have all these wings of it, like the Star Wars time show, the other toy photography type of talk. So one of these days would be nice to all powwow with the SWTS nation and the rest of us uh, toy photogs. So good talking with you, my well, man. Early on, really quickly, you and Nick had mentioned being on stage at Star Wars Celebration. That would be um, nice. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still pulling. Well, we're we're less than a year out, and the way numbers are trending, that's not going to happen. But there's there's time, and hey, get out there. We got the the SWTS Street team. I love when big accounts shout us out, and Sean's one of the best at doing so. So we appreciate your support as well. All right, dude. Well, I'm going to take these uh, jokers through the rest of this week's Star Wars news by myself, but I, I do appreciate talking with you, and I'll see you on IG probably. All right, there you go. There's Sean at visual underscore approach photography. See you, dude. All right. And that is that. Let me switch up screen so we're not looking at just a static picture of Sean there. There we go. We're on the solo cast. That's right. Uh, Nick is gone. And like I said, the uh, outset of the cast, Nick is gone because he's getting those floors replaced that he was talking about a few weeks back. So uh, Klondike, sorry, buddy. I did not catch that question at the end. Um, Hopefully Sean will join in here, the live stream and catch that. Uh, But it sounds like he might paint some of them. It it sounds like he was in the airbrushing earlier on, but I definitely failed you there. Good sir. Uh, That was what we call a Baba Booey. All right. So uh, that was great. I mean, I always love talking to people from the community. Didn't look like Brando liked it too much, but can't please everybody. But now we're going to talk some Star Wars. Not that there's a ton to talk about this week. Uh, And it'll probably go quick just because I do not have my Chewbacca here today. Uh, because he essentially sounded like he was at a construction site and we didn't believe that would provide the best sounding podcast. Um, so it's bad batch time. And and this is one I, I really was hoping to have Nick here because I, I knew we weren't going to be talking next week as I will be out and he'll be doing solo. And I have a feeling episode 14 is, is going to pick things back up because Uh, In my opinion, friends, and I know I've said I'd never say this, and I I probably still won't use the word, and the word I'm talking about is filler, but S1E13, a.k.a. Infested, the latest Bad Batch episode, was about as basic as it gets. How's that? I'll use basic instead of filler. They're they're not much different, uh, but I I said I would never call anything Star Wars filler, so I'm going to stick to it because I'm a dickhead like that. Uh, But anyways, before I kind of get breaking down the nuances of Infested, uh, just general opinion. I'm never going to be turned off by Star Wars content. I, I think Sean said something great today. Like, hey, I'm, I'm never going to, you know, Star Wars content's not going to get me angry or I'm not going to be upset or boycott Star Wars content because this, that, and the other thing. But Bad Batch S1E13 was definitely a slog of an episode. Um, it didn't push a single thing forward. And I've always argued in every other episode of the Bad Batch, um, there's been world building something has happened either character growth world building lore addition lore highlights whatever you want to call it that didn't happen at all in infested there was zero world building zero character growth 
zero lore being uncovered before our eyes. It was just an episode. Uh, it reminded me of some episodes from the Clone Wars. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and be like, blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to get angry about it. It just was, it, it was a ho-hum episode. Nothing happened that pushed any of the main Bad Batch narrative forward. Omega didn't grow as a character. The Batch as a team didn't grow as characters. It was essentially the, 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 the same thing. Hey, we don't want to help. Omega says, guys, we should help. They help. Miller time. All right. Nothing happened here. We've known for multiple episodes now that they no longer need to be in service to Sid. So she's, you know, kind of blackmailing them at this point. They don't even need to be on Ord Mantel. They don't need to save her. I mean, it just, it felt like a misstep, as Baba Bowie said about the iPad and Apple way back when. It just like this late in the season's run, did we need a, an, a basic episode? Maybe they were kind of allowing us to uh, appreciate the calm before the storm that these uh, final four, what, what we got, 14, 15, 16, three episodes to go. Uh, but it just seemed like for the first time this season, we had no uh, movement of the narrative, the Bad Batch narrative. You know, nothing on the Empire side, nothing really happened with the. Um, bad batch. You know what I mean? So overall infested to me was the worst episode of the bad batches first season so far. I don't really think it can uh, get any worse than this. All right. And again, worse is a strong word. It's not like I threw up and stabbed my eyes out after watching it. I just did not feel like it added to the star Wars universe as a whole or to its own series. So uh, kind of a little bit of a dud in Infested. But either way, I got up, I watched it, I broke it down. So let's go ahead and kind of dive into some of the eggs and references that popped up here. And they were as basic as it gets. So let me pull up my notes just in case I already forgot most of them uh, just by looking at the uh, images we have here on the site if you're watching on the live stream. All right, so up first... We got a Gundarks mention. I believe Echo brings this up. Uh, it, it's very similar to the Gundarks mention from Attack of the Clones, where, you know, the good guys are kind of being introduced uh, here. The Bad Batch is showing up. They're talking about a mission, and Echo is like, hey, uh, it better not be like those Gundarks. It, it, again, it mirrored the conversation between Obi-Wan and his Padawan Anakin in Attack of the Clones before they met with his lady love Padme in her apartment. Uh, this episode also, for the first time, featured the Pikes, which is uh, one of the main players in the Star Wars criminal underworld. So this is the first time we got to see the Pikes at work in the Bad Batch, and clearly they still have some influence over the galaxy and, and carry a little bit of weight. You know, I mean, this this Roland Duran guy did not want to mess with the Pikes, so they're, they definitely are a, a faction, a criminal faction that is uh, not to be messed with at this point in time. When there's pikes, there's also going to be some spice. All right, so we got a spice mention from Sid when she started selling the plan to um, rescue her parlor, as she calls it, from Roland and his forces. 
Spice has been mentioned throughout Star Wars. It's what got Han Solo in trouble with Jabba the Hutt. It was a a, uh, kind of a main aspect of the Clone Wars final season with the Martez sisters arc. And now again, it's being used to drive a plot forward, even if it didn't drive the series' plot an inch forward. It at least drove this episode's plot forward. And our last reference slash egg is um, the fact that Roland mentions or threatens to the Pikes uh, go back to Obedia, which is their main planet, their stronghold, which was also featured in the last season of the Clone Wars, like I said, during the Ahsoka and uh, was it Martell's or Martez sisters? Who cares, right? Doesn't matter. Trace and Rafa. So those were our eggs and references from this rather ho-hum basic type of uh, Bad Batch episode. Sadly, because it was a fairly straightforward episode, nothing major happened to the lore, nothing was really added to Star Wars canon, there, there really weren't a lot of key moments that you needed to pay attention to. One I, I kind of threw out there, and, and I, I teased it earlier, is the whole... Yeah, Trevor, you're right. Spice was uh, that is a direct lift from Dune. Who who knows? Maybe Star Wars and Dune share the same galaxy, but uh, it, it's like a spot on copy. I mean, in Dune, Spice is a drug. In Star Wars, Spice is a drug. So good point there, Trevor. And hey, the new Dune trailer, I believe, came out last week. Uh, I suggest everyone check it out. It looks pretty badass. But anyways, key moments from Infested. There weren't many. But earlier, I kind of teased, like, listen, the Bad Batch owes nothing to sit at this point. Ships been paid off. Their debt's been paid off. They're just kind of hanging out. And it was in this episode where you see that even though they don't owe her a, a monetary debt anymore, she still essentially owns them through blackmail. Because, you know, Omega was trying to work her game on Hunter. Like, come on, let's do it. It's the right thing to do, even though he's a criminal. And Hunter's like, what the fuck are we doing here? Why, why are we helping bad people now? And Sid essentially goes like, listen, guys, you're not going anywhere because of what I know. So you got to help me this time because I will rat you out. Where before it was under the guise of you owe me money, you got to be my mercs. So as as much as we love Sid and you know, who knows, maybe she changed at the end of this because of what happened with Omega getting captured and kind of held hostage. Maybe she does have a little remorse, but Sid more or less blackmails the batch and that could be her, her plan moving forward to kind of keep them working for her and getting her out of sticky situations. So that's just something to... Uh, take note of as we watch the final three episodes play out will Sid's knowledge of the Bad Batch who they are where they're at their location their movements come into play again or will she finally just treat them as real friends right has that ever happened in the gangster world in Star Wars can there be real friend friends maybe Sid will show us and then a, a final key moment, and it's just, just more towards speaking to the character of Omega and, and the type of person she's growing into. But here you have this little kid who was held hostage by Roland Durand and his forces. But in the end, she is the one vouching for him. And, and I thought that was a, a significant moment because here is a, a little kid 
who you could argue was potentially traumatized from being for being used as a hostage. But at the end of the ordeal, she still sees good in everyone. You know, maybe she needs a few more uh, hard lessons in life, but either way, she still sees the good in everyone that she sticks up for Roland, her captor. You know, there's a little bit of that Stockholm syndrome going on with Omega in this episode. Um, because she she vouches for him. She doesn't want him to be executed. Now, I'm not sure if that's uh, what kept the Pikes from cutting his head off. Uh, I, if it sounds like they kind of planned on chopping off his horn all along. But I, I thought it was significant that, that she would, after everything that happened to her, um, already stuck up for Sid when Sid was blackmailing her brothers and again, sticking up for her, her, her captor. I mean, she was, she was held hostage, uh, whether there were guns pointed at her head or not. So uh, it just, like I said, it, it speaks volumes about the character of Omega, but it was really nothing new. And that kind of takes me full circle back to my initial dissatisfaction with this episode nothing new happened across the board. Omega didn't do anything new. She didn't learn anything new. Hunter didn't do anything new. He didn't learn anything new. Same with the rest of the Bad Batch and the um, rest of the cast. So while I'm never going to be upset uh, having to watch new Star Wars content, this one was definitely uh, the low point of the Bad Batch's first season. Hopefully first season. We still don't know if they're coming back for a second, but I would assume they are. Uh, because we only have three episodes left and and we know the title of Friday's episode coming up and I think it's going to be a doozy. It's kind of giving me heartburn knowing that I'm not going to be able to talk about it next week on the Star Wars time show. Uh, but the, the title for episode 14 is War Mantle. So if we take into account this throwaway episode where nothing happened and we go back one episode previously where Hauser essentially broke through uh, conditioning and showed that clones still can have free will chips order 66 or not. So I believe when you have an episode titled war mantle, we know what the war mantle project is. It is the it's ramparts project or plan to conscript highly skilled soldiers from across the galaxy to make up the uh, ground forces for the empire a.k.a. the stormtroopers, the bucketheads, the guys that couldn't hit the broadside of a barn door with their blasters. So if you have a title, if you have an episode titled War Mantle, it leads me to believe we're at least going to revisit the plan, if not see it being put into place. Because one would think now that the Imperials are, you know, their, their, their buttholes might be a little puckered realizing that, you know, these clones or not all these millions of clones we have throughout the galaxy are always going to do what we tell them to do. Because let's be real. We tell them to do some pretty fucked up stuff. So like we postulated last week, I believe we're due for a clone uprising. I think more clones are going to pull a Hauser or do a Hauser, whatever, do the Hauser. I guess we can start a movement for it or like a dance, you know, doing the Bernie. You had all that type of stuff. So doing the Hauser is essentially means clones kind of retaking control of their free will and questioning some of the more sinister tactics that the Empire is trying to use to get the galaxy to fall into order. 
so with a with an episode titled War Mantle, I definitely could see at least the first round of stormtroopers coming into play, or at least the, the green light for War Mantle, as well as potential, uh, as well as seeing more clone uprisings, if not free will examples of them kind of breaking free of the old kill all the Jedi Order 66 stuff. Uh, so the, really, the, the the remaining episodes should be quite action packed, lore rich and world building strong, or at least I hope, because we only got three to go. Uh, we do not know the titles of the final two episodes. Uh, at least they haven't leaked yet. Uh, really, the only episodes we ever got titles for were the ones in July. They just so happened to leak. Uh, but Disney seems to have patched that. So we don't know what episode 15 and 16 will be titled. Uh, but I have a feeling that War Mantle could potentially kick off a, a Clone Wars like arc where it's, you know, three episodes that all connect to each other to kind of finish things strong. Uh, or at least the final two episodes will, will probably connect. All right. So there you go. There's your your solo Bad Batch recap. And you'll be getting another one next week. I did tell Nick uh, if I can't control myself. After I see War Mantle on Friday and there's stuff that I just feel like I have to get my thoughts out because I'm such a narcissist, I may record my own take real quick so he can play it on the uh, show after his take. I know, ridiculous, but that's just me, my friends. Okay, so kind of sticking with the Star Wars animated universe and how characters from that universe have been graduating into live action, we we may have got some confirmation to some rumors we have talked about before on this show, in particular when we are discussing the possibility of a live action Thrawn and Ezra Bridger. Uh, we, we've talked about this in the past. You know, we, we heard the rumor about Mina Masood, the guy that played Aladdin, live action Aladdin, playing the role of Ezra. Uh, we've spitballed who could play Thrawn. You know, there's Fassbender, um, Benedict. You know, he's like, fuck you, I'm not painting myself blue. So, uh, you know, people have been spitballing who could be playing these characters in live action form if that's going to happen. And I, I really think it is. Uh, I know this site we're going to talk about that that's breaking this news, supposedly breaking this news. They're saying that they still think a Thrawn and Ezra show is going to happen. I, for one, think any inclusion of Thrawn and Ezra would be done via Ahsoka. It just seems like it's a vehicle that makes sense, considering that her time in the Mandalorian live action, she specifically spelled out her mission. Her mission has been to hunt down Thrawn. Uh, so one would think if Ahsoka's mission is hunting down Thrawn in her own show, that's probably also going to be her mission. So I'm not. Uh, I, I'm going to pour a little cold water on LRM Online's uh, leak that there's going to be a live action Thrawn and Ezra show. Uh, but I I do tend to buy into what they are saying here, and this is what I'm talking about. I know it kind of took me a while to get there. Uh, But LRM Online is claiming through their sources, multiple sources confirmed that they now know exactly which actors will be playing live action Ezra Bridger and live action Grand Admiral Thrawn. I need Fred on the uh, sound effects here. And the actors are 
Mina Masood will be playing Ezra Bridger, and Lars Mikkelsen will be playing Thrawn. All right. We talked about the Mina thing months ago because dude literally put out on his own social media a quote that Ezra Bridger said. I mean, he didn't come out and say, hey, I'm Ezra and I agree with his quote. He just dropped the quote. It was him. No shirt. It was kind of cryptic. But if you're a Star Wars fan, you're like, "Okay, Mina, I know what you're saying and I'm down with it. All right. So uh, I definitely am, am buying the fact that Mina is Ezra Bridger in live action at this point. He's teased it. Other leakers have teased it. Now LRM is claiming that, yeah, this this is definitely happening. Happening, Mina is the guy. Um, I think here we can maybe go back to the article of, yeah, here it is right here. I mean, again, this is on his, Mina's official IG. Hey, just so you know, when I escape, I won't hurt any of you. Which is a direct quote of Ezra Bridger from Star Wars Rebels. And let's be real, if you're on the live stream looking at Mina, he is literally the embodiment of Ezra Bridger in flesh and blood. It's there really couldn't be a more perfect casting outside of using Sackoff to take over Bo-Katan. Um, but this may be even better in terms of just the, the, the look is spot on. You know, you, you shave this guy's head a little bit, give him the Ezra short hair from the final season, get him some Ezra digs and he becomes that character. So I am 100% Behind this, I do believe this is legit, even though it's coming from a site that uh, I wouldn't say always nails their leaks. Uh, The other one, Lars Mikkelsen, has definitely been an actor that's been in the conversation for who fans would want to play Grand Admiral Thrawn in live action. And there's one main reason for this, and it's the fact that he voiced Thrawn in Star Wars Rebels. So it would be identical to the situation that Katie Sackhoff had to take on. She started voicing a prominent character in Star Wars animation, and then she was brought on to embody the character in Star Wars live action. And we all know how that panned out. It it worked perfectly. I know Katie said it was a little hard for her at first to kind of disassociate herself from just doing the voice to actually doing the physical performance. But I, you know, I'm all about bringing in a an actor or an actress that has lived and breathed these characters for years in the animation universe um, before their debut in live action. So uh, Lars, I guess I should uh, let's pull up a picture of him for those of you on the live stream just to get an idea of what he looks like. Uh, but he 100 percent could play Thrawn. I mean, they're live action Thrawn. Uh, you know, that big, the, the big dirty beard he has right now isn't the best, um, but he's got the face. I mean, there's even some shots here. If you're on the live stream, you got people uh, dying his face blue to really kind of give you the look. Uh, but to me, I'll click on this one here uh, where it's uh, animated Thrawn and then Lars next to him. But uh, to me, they, I feel like the animators even kind of designed animated Thrawn based on some of Lars's facial structure. We all know Rebels was slightly more stylized than Clone Wars, so yeah, Thrawn's got some sharp features on his face, but I 100% could see Lars donning the blue makeup, the red eyes, and we know he's going to have the voice and the demeanor to play the character. Uh, So this is another one where 
you know, I, I might not put a ton of weight behind LRM online and their leaks, but it's one as a fan and a fan that is pretty decent at speculating and postulating on future Star Wars. I think Lars is a um, is the pick. So I'll leave you at that. All right. Mina Masood confirmed through a leak to be playing live action Ezra and Lars Mickelson through a leak confirmed to be playing live action Grand Admiral Thrawn. Good stuff, my friends. Good stuff. All right. So let's shut down some of these other sites and move on to another rumor. And this time it's not for... Uh, Thrawn or Ezra, but it is for a Rebels character supposedly uh, appearing in the Kenobi series. All right, so this is kind of a follow-up from last week. In fact, this this dropped a day after we recorded, and if you are a listener and you uh, pay attention to my hot air, I know not all of you like to hear me talking nonstop, so I know this episode's probably going to be a pain in your ass, but last week taking a leak from Jordan Mazon Cinelinks. And he's like, listen, there's going to be multiple Rebels characters that appear in Kenobi, not just Inquisitors. We talked about how uh, Soon Kang is probably playing the fifth brother, and there's probably going to be another Inquisitor at least. Uh, but uh, when he mentioned there's going to be other Rebels characters, and I kind of spitballed like, well, no Ezra, no Sabine, still too young. I'd say hair is viable, Zeb's viable, Chopper's viable, Kanan's viable. But the one I kind of leaned on from the Imperial side was Agent Callus. And I, I don't know, I just, I, I feel like if they're going to take Rebels characters, it, it seems like taking an Imperial, specifically Callus may be the better move for Kenobi. Because if you think about it, I mean, he's in the ISB, uh, he would definitely be involved in any type of searches for Jedi. I mean, that's what he was doing initially with with Vader and the Inquisitors. They're essentially working hand in hand uh, before he decided to become a traitor to the Empire. So someone like Callus in the uh, ISB around the time that Kenobi is going to be set, to me, makes a ton of sense. Um, it, he would be a, a, a great character from the Imperial side coming from Rebels to kind of give us that connective tissue back to the animated series. Uh, but also because I believe the organization he is in in the Empire would be directly involved in any sort of Jedi hunts, Jedi fact finding, you name it. So, you know, if we are going to buy into the whole Princess Leia's in Kenobi and she's the MacGuffin to kind of get the plot moving, uh, there's a good chance that Agent Callus or other ISB agents were the one that figured some shit out and were the impetus for Kenobi possibly needing to protect young Leia. Um, so at this point in time, at least rumor level, fifth brother is going to be in Kenobi, played by Sun Kang. Agent Callus is going to be in Kenobi. And here's the other part of this story. Now, one of the leakers, Jordan Mazin here, after this leak about Callus being in Kenobi came out, just posted a, a, uh, a fixture, a, a fixture, what the hell is that? A, a portrait of Rupert Friend, who we know is confirmed to be in Kenobi. 
So to me, if this if the, if one leaker is posting a picture with no caption as a response to another leaker outing Callus being in the show, it was almost as if this leaker was saying, "Oh yeah, I know that, and this is the guy that's playing him." So if you know what Rupert Friend looks like, I got a picture of him up on the live stream. If that happens to be how you're consuming this episode, if not, you can check it out on StarWarsTime.net. It will be linked in the um, cast post for episode 172. But Rupert Friend could could definitely play an Agent Callus. You know, maybe give him some of those mutton chops, slick his hair back. Uh, and I, I think Nick and I even said, just looking at Rupert in that official casting grid that came out months ago, he looked like an Imperial. Uh, so that that's kind of another reason why I ran with this story this week. I, I, I do, even last week, I was believing that if there are going to be more, more Rebels characters, Callus would be the pick. And then we get this follow-up with the added bump of, hey, you know, Rupert Friend's in this show. No one knows who he's playing yet. And guess who he could look like? Uh, so I'd be all for Callus and Kenobi for the reasons I just outlined a bit earlier. Okay, I'm going to take a few deep breaths uh, before we transition into this week's version of the Storytime segment. Uh, I've been busy these days with Storytime because of the War of the Bounty Hunters uh, miniseries, which, again, is crossing over with all of the proper Star Wars runs, so Vader, Bounty Hunters, Afra, Star Wars, you name it. Uh, So we got an update last week in the issue of Darth Vader 14, and we got some pretty interesting canon in this issue, as well as a a slightly different perspective of what happened in War of the Bounty Hunters number two. So it seems these days in this miniseries, the, the proper runs like Vader... They may progress the War of the Bounty Hunters plot, or they may show different angles and or perspectives of what was going on in the other comic, just from a different character's point of view. So it's, it's kind of cool, and that's sort of what happens in Darth Vader 14. <clears throat> but first, I always try to like to outline the new canon that pops up in these comics, Uh, The Vader issues, they take place in between Empire and Jedi, just for uh, those of you that are taking notes out there. But the main canon here, and and I teased this before based on Darth Vader 13, but it's it's confirmed in this issue that Sly Moore, one of Palpatine's administrators from the prequels, you know, the Umbaran, the all bald bald one that wore like, she kind of looked like Mr. Freeze, let's be real, from the prequels. Uh, but Sly Moore definitely has force powers. All right. So that is confirmed at this point in time. Sly Moore had force powers. And with them, she tried to take out Vader before the events of Return of the Jedi. So that that's some interesting canon to me. Again, this you would think being one of Palpatine's top lieutenants, administrators, as they're called, uh, that she probably wouldn't want to get mixed up in pissing him off. But as we learned in Darth Vader 13, she's in charge of some sort of hooded society that is 100% trying to work together to take out the Sith Lords ruling the galaxy right now. So what 14 does is it kind of shows us some flashbacks from Sly's perspectives and how she is going about this grand plan of trying to take out Vader and ultimately Palpatine. 
So what we learn through these flashbacks is that due to her failures in trying to take out Vader from earlier in this run, she gets demoted. She's no longer a, a senior administrator. Masa Media even kind of ridicules her. She becomes a sub-admin. All right, so obviously she's feeling a little salty, a little betrayed, a little pissed off. So she she's sitting there doing some bullshit work with other Imperials and they're, they're reading through some hollows and they happen to mention Skywalker. And right there, you can kind of see like, OK, th- this lady knows about Luke, knows his importance to Vader and, and the Emperor, because as I'm postulating, she definitely has some sort of force connections, as I will um, bring up later. But she she knows that Skywalker is her key to messing with Vader, all right, or, 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 or taking Vader off the map. So this issue shows us how she learned how to kind of hack Vader's suit, because in 13, uh, it's shown that IG-88 has a remote that allows him to hack Vader's suit, and he almost gets the upper hand until he realizes that Vader has the force and can suck away low-life remotes and then just cut you in half. So it, it, she literally was <clears throat> on Coruscant, in the armory, stealing the secrets to hack Vader's armor. And this is where her force powers come to light. So as she's doing this, Masamita walks in. It's kind of like, what are you doing in here? And you can see, like, she keeps moving her hand in the panels. Like, her hand's always up and pointed at someone, kind of like the, you know, these are not the droids you're looking for move. And even Masamiya is like, are you supposed to be doing this on high ranking officials? And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. But the whole time she's she's telling him what she wants him to hear and to remember and to act on. So she's like, hey, yeah, yeah, you're right. We don't do this. We didn't have this conversation. You're not going to tell anyone that I was down here. And Masamita walks out essentially like a brain dead stormtrooper going, yeah, you're right. I'm not going to tell anyone what you were doing down here. So like I said, Sly Moore definitely had a connection to the force. If anything, she knew how to do the Jedi mind trick. Okay, and it, it comes up again in this issue. So that's how we learn how she got the intel on Vader. It also shows how she uses her hooded society to pass the data all the way to IG-88. So then the issue picks up right at the end of 13. IG-88 is back. He's talking to Sly Moore and her hooded compatriots. And he's saying, hey, lady, you're fucking crazy. I can't beat Vader by myself. He's impossible. This dude is a menace. No one's going to beat him. We need an army to do so. And that's where she's like, yada, yada, yada. A million hands together can take down the Sith Lords, more or less. But what we didn't know in, in issue 13 is that Vader and Ochi were there. They followed IG-88, and and just as Sly was making her boast of, hey, if we work together, we can take out Vader, he just comes through and cuts IG-88 in half. So over the past issues, Vader has chopped off his head, and then after he uh, soldered it back on, he then chopped IG-88 completely in half. And of course, this causes all of Sly's uh, followers to just scatter. So her plan of a million hands instantly goes out the window as soon as they see vader they're like hey fuck you lady you are crazy and they run and she's like no fight back and vader's like whatever and just takes them all out and then again you could see she starts to do her hand thing she's trying to do her hand thing the vader you know like like grief cardboard said do the do the hand thing the magic hand thing 
and right there, Vader just just bitch slaps her. Sorry, I know that's not a great term to say. We're talking about a woman, but just just bitch slaps her, and more or less says, "Put your fucking hand down. I am a Sith, and you cannot bend my will." So I guess that's something I was never quite familiar with, that Sith can't be influenced by a Jedi mind trick. I guess it makes sense because it's not like you could probably influence other Jedi. It's typically only for the weak minded. But she tries and again shows her hand that she does have some sort of affinity for the force. But we're dealing with Vader. He quickly shoots that down and more or less brings her to his knees and is like, listen, what's going on i'm going to kill you and this is where she pulls out the skywalker uh, ace in the hole she's like i've got intel on skywalker i know how we can find them and we all know that at this point vader is hell-bent on taking out luke because he thinks luke is the biggest threat to his position of power with the emperor and he's right so once he hears that she can help him find Skywalker by going to the auction for Han Solo, see, here's where we cross over in the War of the Bounty Hunters and back to Kira's idea in the first place to t- steal Han is that whoever has Han at this point in time is going to be able to command the attention of the entire galaxy. The rebels, the Imperials, the Bounty Hunters, other crime syndicates, you name it, they will be there. So that's how Sly kind of keeps herself alive she tells Vader where this meeting is. And this is where the issue catches right back and, and essentially goes over the same panels that War of the Bounty Hunters number two was doing, but from a different perspective. So I like it. it, it it's like seeing the same scene shot from a different angle and you hear other conversations. It was very uh, lore, uh, lore um, enhancing, if you will. But anyways... We knew from a few issues back that Vader and Ochi had also enlisted Boku the Hutt to help them get Han. So Vader has Boku helping him and Sly, and they're at this auction. And we know from the last issue of War of the Bounty Hunters that Jabba the Hutt drove the price up to a ridiculous amount, so much so that the Imperials weren't going to pay it. So Sly's bid to get uh, Han Solo failed, so not only... Now we know who she was failing. She was failing Darth Vader because he was the one that ultimately sent her there to get Han Solo. But what she didn't know until she got there was that Vader also had Boku get in on the bidding to fuck with Jabba the Hutt. So at the end of the issue, she goes to Ochi like, dude, what is the deal with Vader? I thought we were on the same side me, him, and Boku. Why did he have Boku bidding against me? And this is where Ochi reveals the grand plan to Sly Moore. And he's like, silly little lady. Did you really think Vader would let you get away with that little plan you just tried to make, uh, you know, against him? He's like, never. That's why he has Boku working against you, you working against Boku. He's playing you all because he is the Dark Lord of the Sith and he always gets what he wants at the end. And this issue ended with Vader's grand entrance into the auction right after Kira sells uh, Han's uh, carbonite self to Jabba and Vader pretty much says, no. I don't think so. Invalid sale. This motherfucker belongs to me. So it was a, it was an interesting Vader issue. I mean, you, you definitely got some power Vader in there. He's slicing, slicing up IG-88, slicing up some Crimson Don fools. 
but it, it, it was different because it, it kind of told some flashbacks to fill us in on what Slymore has been up to. It showcased her her um, force affinity, which I thought was a an interesting addition to canon. Uh, but again, it just kind of tied all of this War of the Bounty Hunters content together. So where things are at now, at least going into this week, which is going to be updated through the proper Star Wars comic run, everyone's at the auction. The Rebels are there. They've ran into Boba Fett. Darth Vader's there. He just walked in. He's getting ready to start killing people to take Han, who was just sold by Kira to Jabba the Hutt. So Han's been sold, but not really, because Vader is going to do some sort of power play. The Rebels are there, but they're uh, currently engaged with Boba Fett. Will they work together, or will they have a little skirmish? Who knows? Uh, But maybe we'll find out more uh, this week. So make sure that you are subscribed. You can do it right now if you're watching the live stream. Sub to the Star Wars Time Show YouTube channel. Just do it. Click on the subscribe. Click on the literally alarm for notifications. Uh, But I hope to break down Star Wars 15 this week, which again will... Uh, should pick up right where Darth Vader 14 left up, albeit from the perspective of Leia, Lando, Chewie, and probably um, farm boy Luke. All right, so there is your story time with Matt. And our last little topic before we get into the fan segment, which I, I already know that I've screwed up. Uh, the question of the week, I'm just going to have to read live from my phone uh, because I did not put those up on the uh, I did not put those up in Slack so I apologize but I I will read some responses live right from our phone during the fan segment Uh, but before we get there I do have uh, some toys to talk about and no I didn't get the carbonized black series figures that were announced fuck those things I mean at this point I'm I'm never going to say I'm fully off of the uh, 112 scale, the Black Series stuff, but this year Hasbro has made it uh, kind of easy for me to fully transition into uh, spending way more money on 1-6 scale figures, but at least I know I'm getting them. I don't have to you know, suffer a stroke or FOMO from the ordering process, and I know they're going to show up and look like little pieces of art. Uh, but anyways, outside of those carbonized trooper shits we did get some new clone wars micro series vintage collection and black series figures announced and i know they're walmart exclusive so it's another one of those dick punches to collectors real collectors Uh, i'm sure the scalpers loved to to hear this news that these were walmart exclusives and those if you if you're still alive in the chat and you're listening I believe these are already all sold out. I mean, there's another rat race, I think, this uh, last Friday uh, of, of collectors trying to get these on Walmart's shitty site and them selling out. But they are some damn good-looking figures. And if you're not familiar with uh, the Clone Wars Micro Series, that was the Gennady Tarkovsky or pa 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 I'll just say his last name like that. Sorry, Gennady, but it, it's the from his series, which... I quite enjoy. I know some fans thought it was a little ridiculous, but I I was a huge fan of it. And uh, it did used to be canon because George commissioned this micro series to tell a tale of the Clone Wars in between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. In fact, the second season of the micro series is a literal lead up to the start 
of Revenge of the Sith and why the Jedi boys get called back to help Palpatine, who has been abducted. You actually see the abduction play out. And more importantly, you get to see why Grievous is coughing like a three pack a day smoker in Revenge of the Sith, because Mace Windu essentially crushes whatever uh, artificial windpipe he has in his suit as he steals Palpatine. So anyways, the, the figures that were revealed in the Black Series line for the Micro Series are a Clone Captain, who I believe is Fordo, the red guy. You got a Mace Windu and you've got a Grievous. Now, unfortunately, we didn't get any glamour shots for these figures, so uh, they just gave us screenshots of what they looked like in the show. I am hoping that the actual figures maintain the stylized look that the uh, screenshots present because I think that would make for a cool figure not that uh, I was able to get these because I I do believe the pre-orders are already gone because it is a Walmart special but those were our three black series and then really um, Hasbro if anything else you know we can rag on them a lot for what they've done in 2021 so far but they've definitely been killing it with the TVC I mean so much so that I'm, I'm half tempted to go back to the vintage collection because that was my that was my bread and butter uh you know obviously that's what the the scale that started out when i was a kid and, and my parents were buying me the kenner figures um but even in the in the high school when my dad was still collecting stuff it was you know power of the force uh at the 118 scale when the prequels came out i went fucking crazy it just you know poor college kid buying sometimes triples of prequel figures because uh, those days I was an inbox, don't touch them, and maybe you need two inbox and then another to open. It was bad, uh, but I, I kind of gave up the, uh, the the vintage collection after Rogue One. I, I collected most of the Rogue One 118 scale, and then I stopped. That's when I got kind of sucked up in the Black Series whirlwind. But these days, if you're on the live stream, I mean, just just look at these these figures. I mean, the Isla Secura is just fantastic. And you got to remember, if you're not a collector, you're just someone, you know, that, that tunes into this shit. Obviously, not everyone likes it. We had a few people uh, tune out of the interview because it was toy photography. But the, these things are tiny, like like this big. If you're on the live stream, I'm, I'm making a, a kind of a simulating how tall these things are with my fingers. It's basically the same thing I do when people ask me how big my penis is. It's about this big. But these things are tiny, you know, uh, three and three quarter inches, something like that. And just the the detail that they're getting into the sculpts now, the improved articulation. Uh, these are some good looking figures. So in, in TVC for the Clone Wars micro series, we're looking at Isla Secura, Luminara Unduli, Barris Offy, uh, the Arc Trooper Captain. Like I said, I believe is is Fordo, and then you have the Arc Trooper um, it, with the blue paint. And a uh, battle droid. So I don't know. Like I said, maybe I'll, I'll I'll dabble in the vintage collection these days if I fully give up Black Series. But it just seems over the past two three months, it's been uh, nothing but a, a retailer exclusives, and typically at the retailers that suck. So sadly, uh, it, a lot of you probably have been missing out on some of these rather excellent looking figures you know what i mean all right well before we uh cross over into the old fan segment in full i got something to tell you people 
you know, the Olympics are going on, the Euros, baseball, whatever you want to call it, major championships went down. They've finally completed here in the States. Uh, but you know what isn't a cool thing to do over the summer? That is having a wild and hairy bush, my friends. That's right. Tame your pubes with help from our friends at Manscaped, who help support the Star Wars Time Show by allowing us to give you a code of SWTS to save 20% off on their products plus pre-shipping. All right. So um, we're asking you to tame your pubes with help from our friends at Manscaped, the leaders in below the waist grooming. Their fourth generation performance package includes the brand new lawnmower 4.0. If an athlete treats their body like royalty, why not treat your pubes like Olympic gold? Fellas, do right by your balls and join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com with the code SWTS. You know, Nick and I, we do this every week. I'm sure some of you roll your eyes, but I 100% support Manscaped and its products. The lawnmower has been fantastic for this overly hot summer. It's kept my nether regions as cool as possible by allowing me to shave my bush without worrying about nicking up my private parts, right? That's what it's all about. We all know it's more comfortable to not have a beard down there, but we also don't want to deli slice our meat. So that's where Manscaped and their Lawn Mower 4.0 come in. But more importantly, the world is starting to open and Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 is here to help you get ready. Inside, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker, which is an ear and uh, nose hair trimmer, the Crop Preserver, which is my favorite. This stuff is ball deodorant, no joke. I will be using this for the rest of my life. This stuff is fantastic. And, uh, you know, if my deodorant might be wearing out, that's where I'll turn to the Crop Reviver Toner, which is also a part of the Performance Package 4.0. Not to mention two free gifts in the boxer briefs and the travel bag. The briefs, again, I will tell you, no, no BS are fantastic. They fit nicely, they're breathable, and they just let your junk um, not suffer the heat of this hot summer. So, talk about a world-class dismount into a post-quarantine world. This package is perfect package for your package and peak performance in whatever sport you desire. The brand new Lawnmower 4.0 is here to take the podium. This fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. And I can vouch for that ceramic blade. It does not nick. All right, so the lawnmower, the lawnmower 4.0 also has a 7,000 RPM motor, so this thing can definitely whack through some thick bushes. Not to mention its multi-function on-off switch, which even has a travel lock. And this thing also has a 4,000K LED spotlight, just in case you like to shave in dark rooms. All right. Did I mention that it's also waterproof? Well, it is. So Michael Phelps is drooling just thinking about the possibilities. The package also comes with the Weed Whacker, which is the ear and nose hair trimmer. And this thing is also waterproof. And it has a 9,000 RPM motor with a 360 degree rotary dual blade system to rip those nasties out of your nose and ear. 
All right, so after you trim your pubes, show them some sportsmanship with the Manscapes liquid formulations. I'm telling you, my friends, these things are fantastic, especially if you had some smelly balls. The Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner are definitely key to feeling victorious this year. And don't forget, if you do opt to get the Performance Package 4.0, you'll also get a pair of some kick-ass Manscaped boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. So, to get 20% off and free shipping, use the code SWTS at manscaped.com. That is 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. All right, thanks everyone. And uh, like I said, no joke, like Joe was saying in the chat, four inches is always fine, especially when your balls smell pleasant. And that's what the deodorant and the reviver can do for you. I also use their foot spray now. Like I'm, I'm all in. I got their shower gel, the foot spray, and it, it, it's like a, it, it, it's symbiotic. Like Obi Wan said, it, it, there, there's a very symbiotic relationship between all of these scents that you spray on your nether parts and feet. All right, so don't forget SWTS at Manscape.com to get 20% off plus free shipping. All right, so let's go ahead and move over to the iconic Star Wars Time Show fan segment where we go over fan responses to the question of the week and everyone's favorite top five artists of the week. Like I said, I, I kind of fucked up and did not post the question responses, so I'll just do it live, right? Fuck it. I'll do it live. You got it, Bill. All right, so let's pull this up and see did we get any responses. Oh, wow, we did get some responses. I'll try to get some people that have not been mentioned before uh so here we go we got dark dan 115 dark dan 115 said when all the batch grabbed their guns in sync and hid omega behind hunter yes the brothers definitely will protect their little sister um 12 and a half parsecs had to say in response to the fan question a week, which was just, hey, what was your favorite part of the most recent episode of The Bad Batch? And 12 and a half parsecs said, a great episode. Love seeing the Pikes, and I thought them dismembering someone, especially a prominent member of another crime syndicate, was ruthless. The scary side to this galaxy that we rarely see. While I'll disagree with 12 and a half parsecs that it was a great episode, I, I do appreciate the take. And, and that's why I love Star Wars and Star Wars fans for the most part. Because, you know, we might not all see eye to eye on some of the content, but someone like 12 and a half parsecs got a lot out of Infested, where I didn't feel like I got much. But the point of, hey, seeing the pikes and the crime syndicates and the ruthlessness is a is a valid uh, point to bring up. And, and honestly... If this show does go into future seasons, which I which I think it's going to, it, it would seem to be a waste to to stop at one season because we really haven't <laughs> told a a poignant story yet. We we've still been kind of carrying the narrative through of the Bad Batch is on the run, Omega is needed by the Kaminoans, Crosshair doesn't like the Bad Batch, right? I mean that, that's pretty much what's been happening. Uh, so like 12 and a half parsecs is saying the fact that the Pikes went after the, what Isa Duran's son, 
who was being kind of positioned as a, a badass and someone not to fuck with in the galaxy at this point in time. The events from this episode could definitely be called back to in a future episode when maybe Roland comes to get some revenge or his mom does. So, you know, 12 and a half parsecs does have some points. Uh, here is Left Coast Graphics. By far, Kenner Hammerhead was the best part of the series so far. Um, a lot of people are liking the uh, the the Athorian and the Weequay, and they have names, and they're just they're 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 fucking up my head right now. Like I I can't remember, and I'm usually pretty good at that stuff. Oh, we got an alert. Klondike is saying that the Clone Wars Mace window is up on Walmart right now for pre-order. So look at that. How's that? I'm sure if you're not listening to this live, it probably will not be there and it won't be there by the time I get done. But there is your PSA if you were trying to get the Clone Wars micro series Mace window. All right. So back to our responses. Uh, Anytime this person responds, I have to read it. That's because grief cardboard is essentially a part of the SWTS mythos at this point in time. And the cardboard had to say, I think my favorite part was that I made it to the 20 something minute mark when the episode ended. Not sure about the title of infested either. I think it could have been called the one with the spice run or anything else for that matter. Only thing I can think of is that these episodes are just setting something up where Omega will call in favors to all the friends she's made along the way. Otherwise, I would have to fully agree on filler, and the pikes are always awesome looking. They remind me of something out of Stargate. As always, keep up the good work, fellas. You got it, cardboard. We speak your name. And I think Grief kind of felt the same way about the episode as I did. It's like, okay, it's over, it happened, and it really did not push the narrative ball forward. Uh, We'll go with Huffman Steven next. When Sid stepped up and took responsibility, I got the kid into this and I'll get her out, showing that she's not just concerned about money in herself. You know, I kind of touched on that. So I guess if Sid did learn something from this, maybe there there was a little bit of character growth. But I don't know. I have a feeling by this next episode, if if Sid's going to be in again, which why wouldn't she be? She's been in most of them. I still have a feeling she's probably going to get the Bad Batch to do something for her because of what she knows about them. Uh, but, you know, Huffman Steven does have a point. She did kind of step up when Omega was required to be a hostage for a little bit as they recovered the spice for the Pikes. All right. Um, you know what? I think there was a, a story reply. We'll give him a little credit. Ripic Tan always replies to the stories. Give him a shout out. So Ripic had to say, I am honest. I honestly am starting to really like the weak way and the Thorian that are always hanging at Sid's bar. I'm pretty sure that they're the same two that Ahsoka accidentally frees from the Pike Fortress in Season 7 Martez Sister Arc. If anyone is sacrificing themselves for Omega, it's those two. Yeah, so uh, like I said, I, I I know they have names and I, it's just it's it's escaping me at the moment. And that kind of makes me feel like a loser. But hey, we've been talking for a while. I'm kind of getting a little loopy, ready to go. So we'll, we'll just leave it at that. All right, so thanks for those responses. Remember, if you want to get involved in the fan segment, there's two methods to entry. 
You can uh, leave a reply to the fan question of the week, which usually goes out Tuesday mornings around 8 a.m. Eastern time. Or as we segue into our final segment of the show, you can get in on the top five Star Wars fan artist features every week by following us on Instagram, tagging at Star Wars Time Show in your Star Wars related posts. Uh, preferably art, cosplay, tattoos, photography, and using the hashtag Star Wars Time Show. So if you do that, every day when I wake up bright and early, I go through the tags and I go through the hashtags and I will share usually 12, sometimes more uh, shots that I deem to be rather excellent looking and that other Star Wars fans would appreciate. Then on the Monday before our show, our live stream here on YouTube, don't forget, Star Wars Time Show on YouTube. Just give us a search. You'll find it. Uh, Nick will pick the top five. Uh, So the candidates we're going to be looking at now were chosen from the features I put out all last week. And then Nick settled on these five to be discussed on the show. So that's how you do it. All right. Tag us at Star Wars Time Show. Use hashtag Star Wars Time Show. All right. So up first... We have a rather excellent looking shot of uh, the Mud Troopers from Solo from at general.great.value.2.0. I'll tell you, the shot looks great. The handle's a little bit of a mouthful, but I know sometimes we can't quite get the handles we want because other assholes steal them. But anyways, this is general.great.value.2.0, and the shot is rather excellent looking. Um, It's kind of a... It's almost like a a color splash shot where it it seems like most of the image is, is black and white. Uh, but then general great value allowed the red of the mud troopers armor to come through as well as the skin tones on their face. And it just it just makes it makes the shot stand out. Uh, the pose is is rather excellent, too. I mean, I know both figures are, are technically Han Solo, but the the mask and visor is down far enough. You can't really tell. And it just it looks like a a soldier looking over the corpse of a uh, a dead um, fellow soldier. And it's just like, you know, it's one of those war is hell. Uh, in the background, I'm not, I'm not sure if that is, uh, that figure is, is signifying death and the, and the death of the trooper. Uh, but either way, I just, I, I was a big fan of the, the, the tone of this shot and, and really just the, 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 the setup. You got some good poses there, a nice, nice hold on the mask to give the figure some lifelike qualities. So uh, a job well done by general.great.value.2.0. I believe this is a first top five for them. So make sure to give them a follow if you're not already doing so. That's usually Nick's line. I'm trying to channel him right now. All right, up next, we got some kick-ass looking scout trooper art from at Pablo olivera.art so p-a-b-l-o-o-l-i-v-e-r-a dot art and it's a i don't know a painting you know we're not we're not the best at describing real ass paint right now but in the background you got a a probe droid Uh, the main subject is a scout trooper but the scout the scout trooper has this big ass rifle 
Uh, he's got this, like jaws painted on his face mask. He's got a, like half of a ghillie suit on. So it's like he's been out kind of stalking his target. And it just I, I know we've seen scout troopers with that face mask before where it looks like he's got shark jaws. I don't know. I, I just think it's fucking badass. It, it looks fantastic on that scout trooper helmet. And this um, art piece from Pablo Oliveira art just does a fantastic job uh, showcasing a scout trooper as a true scout, you know, a, a, a sniper out there kind of scouting the path before the main battalion moves in. I mean, he, he's got his Star Wars version of the ghillie suit, like I said, still has his armor on, has a little personality with the with the mask paint. But it's just a it's just a fantastic art piece. Uh, and, and apparently a lot of our followers thought so because it, it garnered almost 4000 likes. And if we go check out Pablo's full account, uh, there's some uh, not some there's a plenty of excellent work here. Looks like uh, they do a lot of a lot of Marvel stuff. Uh, some excellent Marvel portraits. Here we go. Here's some more Star Wars art. Yeah, just great stuff. I mean, you got a live-action Ahsoka art piece. You got Mando on a Bantha art piece. These are just really just beautiful pieces of real-ass paint. Here's Luke doing his thing. Fantastic. So, there you go. There's a new uh, real-ass uh, artist to follow if you're a toy photographer or vice versa. This is at PabloOlivera.art on Instagram. Up next, we have a shot from at MandoCalrissian underscore. How about that for random characters in a username? Uh, this is a pretty cool shot of Bo-Katan blowing a stormtrooper's face off. I mean, it looks like she already took him out, but for good measure, she is doing a point blank shot to his chest plate. Um, I, I just kind of like the the action vibes of this shot. I like the you know the sparks coming out of the the stormtrooper's chest plate, and Bo just kind of really looking like a badass, like ah, die motherfucker, you know, just sitting down there getting ready to not getting ready to actually blasting this dude uh, to smithereens. Uh, this is a figure that I do own, and I am hating myself for not taking it out on a shoot yet, uh, because she really does pose well as at Mando Calrissian underscore is showing us in these action shots. She just looks great holding her pistols. What can I say? Um, so good work from at Mando Calrissian underscore on Instagram. Uh oh. Um, all right. Well, this is a Chez pick shot, but apparently I have to view it on Instagram. All right, here we go. Now we can see it. It's like, uh, we're getting cock blocked here. All right. So this is a Chez pick shot. We all love Chez picks. One of the best natural light photographers out there. Really one of the best outdoor photographers. I mean, with Chez picks, it's, it's usually no bullshit. Uh, goes out to this lovely beach location he has, cat, catches some amazing sunsets, but mostly just uses the environment around him. And and I, I don't know, I, I appreciate that type of toy photography. It's how I started. It, it's how I prefer to shoot. Now, I, I mean, I love mixing up, uh, getting into some digiramas or dioramas like, like uh, our guest today, Visual Approach. But sometimes just being able to wheel out with your gear and your figures and then using the environment to create your scene, uh, that that's a 
a very pleasurable toy photography experience to me. So anyways, we're looking at an awesome shot from at Chespix 66 of the Star Wars Rebels crew. And it's the full crew plus a, an Imperial probe droid. So, uh, you know, you got the the Jedi have their lightsabers out. So Ezra and Kanan, they have their sabers out. The the ladies have their blasters out. Chopper, he's got his little arms out going like, wah, 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 wah. Probably saying, uh, you know, F this guy. F, 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 F. I feel, I feel like that's all Chopper ever says. But really, the, the, the main action of the shot, the meat of the shot is Zeb. He is in the middle. He's flanked by his companions and he's the one holding the ipd over his head getting ready to rip its legs off as if he was splitting the wishbone of a turkey uh it's just a it's a fun setup i love the rebels i i I enjoy seeing them all together Uh, but just seeing zeb doing what he does best which is usually like chewbacca and just using his physical prowess to take control i i just i I really appreciate the, the pose of Zeb holding up that IPD, making it look like it actually is floating in the air and that he has just plucked it from said air and is going to smash it to bits. Uh, so this is at Chespix 66 We're a big fan. He, he typically gets a, uh, a feature a week just because it's hard not to. All right, just go look at his account. Like I said, lots of lovely sunsets. Look at this. Look at that. He's got the Nomad Fed out there with the twin sons. Just just beautiful type of stuff. Uh, you can expect to see from at Chespix66 on Instagram. All right. And our last top five of the week before I say goodbye comes from at Snicket. That's at S-N-I-K-T-T-T. Think about the sound that Wolverine's claws make. I'm pretty sure that's what at Snicket is going with when it comes to the handle. Uh, but th- this is a, I guess we could call it a demented shot, but a humorous shot. And, and what we're looking at, imagine a Dexter kill room, but on the table is a stormtrooper and the one playing Dexter is a Gamorrean guard. And... What you see, uh, this poor stormtrooper is being mutilated by the Gamorrean guard. Uh, he's been cut in half. You got some blood, sp- blood spatters coming out of his waist. Both his arms have been cut off. Uh, one of his legs has been chopped off. But what really sells the shot to me is this little nuanced addition of some accessories in the bottom left of the shot. And it's the fact that... <laughs> In the, uh, I guess we'll call it the dismemberment bucket, where the little piggy has been putting the body parts of the stormtrooper, you can see one of the stormtrooper's hands is giving the Gamorrean guard the middle finger. So it's like as the dude was getting his arm chopped off, he's like, fuck you, Gamorrean guard. And it gets chopped off and locked in through rigor mortis. So, you know, you essentially have a dead hacked up stormtrooper on a kill table. But in the bucket, it's his last parting shot to his killer of a middle finger kind of telling the, 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 the pig to go fuck himself. Um, you know, at Snicket does a lot of kind of uh, visceral shots like this. And I just, I don't, it was that, that middle finger in the bucket just got me. Uh, so I'm glad Nick kind of chose this for a top five. Cause it is a, it is a different type of, of star Wars scene, if you will. 
a little on the dark side and, and not of the force, just, just dark in general. All right, my friends, there we go. Somehow, uh, damn near three-hour solo show. I think a lot of that is a credit to uh, Sean, who was our guest today. You know, we had a, a nice long discussion on his Star Wars fandom, but also for those of you that are into the toy photography hobby, uh, some of what he does, some tips, talked about some of his work, some of the inspiration. Uh, so if you missed that, make sure to check out the recorded version of the live stream or the audio only version, which we'll be releasing on podcast platforms tomorrow, July 28th, which just so happens to be my birthday. Yes, like the rest of you that crossed 40, I know birthdays are no longer anything we look forward to. Not that I have been looking forward to them for quite some time. Uh, especially with a midweek birthday, but I'm going to do, I'll do something. I'll try to relax a little bit, but you know, I'll be down here punching up episode 172 to distribute to the podcast platforms. If you're new and you're going, well, Hey Matt, how do we get to those podcast platforms? I want to subscribe and leave a rating and review just like the rest of your fans have done. Right, everyone else? You have all subscribed. You've all left your ratings and reviews. So let's tell those new fans how they can do it themselves. It's easy. You can go to StarWarsTime.net. All right, if you're on the live stream, we're looking at it right now. This is where we keep all of our content that we will talk about on our weekly Star Wars show. Uh, but more importantly, it has jump to links, anchor links for all of our podcast platforms and YouTube. So right here in the top right, if you're on desktop, subscribe to podcast. That's an easy way to do it. Or just scroll down the page and in the sidebar, most of the popular podcast platforms are right there for you to click on. So we're on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Pandora, iHeart, Stitcher, TuneIn, Deezer. You can grab the RSS feed. It doesn't matter. It's honestly nearly impossible to not find the Star Wars Time Show on a podcast platform unless you're using the wrong podcast platform. If you're more into the live stream or just watching the video version, uh, if you keep scrolling down StarWarsTime.net in the right sidebar, you will find a nice handy dandy auto subscribe button that when clicked upon will add you to our list of fans on YouTube. And, and we appreciate it. Uh, please, you know, it's all about the fan feedback, the fan interaction, the fan love. Just like we were talking last week. I mean, that Nick Gallard interview was an injection to my soul that I needed for this show. I was probably smiling until last Friday, just thinking about that conversation we had with Nick and some of the, some of the discussions that we got out of him for our fans to listen to and hopefully other Star Wars fans. So that's what it's all about. And the fact that he signed off essentially saying, hey, if more interviews went the way that this Star Wars Time sh show interview went, he would do more interviews because he hates doing them. So I, that just is like a, a badge of honor to get that type of feedback from someone like Nick Gallard, who, um, by the way, if you miss the interview or you don't want to listen to it in full, I guess why we are on StarWarsTime.net, I, I highly recommend hitting the What's New section and checking out some of the posts Nick curated last week to break out some of the more uh, poignant stories that Nick Gallard talked about from the prequels. Um, so if you just want to tune into the discussion on how Yoda was a last minute addition in Attack of the Clones, you can find that on StarWarsTime.net. 
Uh, if you want to learn more about how Padme was almost slammed up against her ship in Revenge of the Sith, Nick has that for you out on StarWarsTime.net. And probably my favorite piece that Nick did last week, kind of breaking up some of Nick Gillard's anecdotes, is um, uh, it's a collection of Gillard's uh, talking points on his fighting style and how it influenced the prequels, but then also how he interpreted the fighting style of the sequels and and some recommendations he would have had for someone like Adam driver. Uh, It's very insightful commentary from a longtime stunt coordinating legend that I do think star Wars fans will take note of. And of course the, the real big one there, uh, Nick also broke out on StarWarsTime.net the discussion where Nick Gillard essentially reenacted how the high ground was actually supposed to go down. All right, so there you go. StarWarsTime.net, that's all you need to know. Or really, if you go to at StarWarsTimeShow on Instagram, you can find most of our links. If you want to join in on the Discord, that's where you can find that link uh, to uh, kind of chat with us throughout the week in between shows. All right, everyone. Appreciate you. Thanks again to Visual Underscore Approach Photography for a great chat today. Uh, that is the opening segment of episode 172, in case you missed it. All right, it's time for me to shut up, get moving, and put this episode to bed. Just don't forget, there's always time for Star Wars time, right? I kid you not. Nick Gillard likes it. You should like it. Ten of your friends should like it. Do telephone with it. You know, just start a a chain. Like, Star Wars time is awesome. Pass it on. And by the end, it'll probably come back to you. Star Wars time is full of shit, but at least you tried. Because there's always time for Star Wars time. And we all know this, and hopefully new fans will learn it. But if you listen to the Star Wars time show, the Force will be with you. Always. Always.